Welcome to Overboost 42. Overboost is a podcast interview series featuring discussions with speedrunners about their history in speedrunning and gaming and the runs they're passionate about. I am your host, PMC Trilogy, and with me today is Jaxler. Jaxler, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. Now, I always like to start these off with some current events, uh, and one of those current events that happened recently, and I haven't talked about it before at all on the podcast, is the 12-hour challenge, which has been going on for, for a number of years a number of years now. I think it's typically biannual, uh, something that, that is sort of loosely organized, I think, by, uh, by Golden. Was, and I know you did a game for it, but I wanted to ask... Uh, was this the first time you had done this or, or had you done? No, actually, um, I've actually done this several times before. I I think like maybe like four, 35 to 40% of the games that I've run or I've actively run Mm -hmm. were 12 hour challenge games for me at some point. Um, so like, uh, Neopets, which we'll talk about at some point, Mm -hmm. that was a 12 hour challenge run. Uh, Scooby night of a hundred frights, which I ran at GDQ. That was actually a 12 hour, uh, several years ago. Uh, Dog's Life, which I don't really run anymore, uh, but that's that's a video game that exists. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so if people aren't familiar with it, just to make sure anyone listening or watching, right. the idea of the 12-hour challenge is that uh, you can take 12 hours, usually over a weekend. It's not strictly enforced. There's no 12-hour challenge police. Right. But the idea is, is that as either a, a new speedrunner or a veteran speedrunner, you can pick up a new game and try and complete a run. Uh, within 12 hours, again, it's a, sort of a loose challenge, but the idea is that you can you can sit down and do that. Uh, I know for you, uh, this past time, uh, you did a game called Pumpkin Jack, which I yeah. had not heard of before uh, before seeing you do runs. Can you just tell us real quick what Pumpkin Jack is and why you were running it? Yeah, so uh, the best way I would describe Pumpkin Jack, um, if you've heard of the game Medieval before on like the OG PlayStation, it's like Medieval and a hat in time had like a baby. That's the best way I can put it um, I, from a, like aesthetics standpoint. It's a 3D like action platformer uh, based a little bit around combat uh, and sort of like the spooky Halloween aesthetic, uh, kind of like Medieval does. Um, I was put onto it by uh, a friend of mine named Britt, who I know from the SpongeBob community. I've known him for about five years, and he's also a Medieval fan. And he he messaged me one day and is like, "Dude, you would really like this game." And I and I looked at cause he was and he started running it almost at release. Uh, I released about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, about a year ago. And I, I watched him do a run of it, and I'm like. Yeah, this is kind of my thing, isn't it? And so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a try. I, I played it casually. I really liked it. And then I was like, okay, I'll 12-hour challenge this. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. And it's really, really cool as a speed run so far. It's, it's, it's very uh, momentum-based. So there's like a lot of momentum-boost stuff that you can mess with. So that's... I'm not great at it, uh, but you know that's the that's the whole point of the 12 hour, right? Is you, you know you 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 learn and you um I, part of like the restriction of the 12 hour is you just have to make compromises to get mm-hmm. it done within the 12 hour. Obviously, no one like you said, no one polices you about it, but you have to uh, like you you know you have to make some compromises with like oh you know I won't invest so much time into learning this one trick you know so I can complete the challenge and it kind of guides people into you know not like hyper focusing i guess and so you know i'm getting there i guess is what i'm trying to mm-hmm. say yeah no um, you know i think it's actually you bring up a really good point which is that i think it's already a well-known thing 
that when someone's new to speedrunning to say that like, hey, don't you know, don't stress out about going for yeah. a world record time. Like I feel like that's already pretty commonly said. And I feel like right. this is sort of a corollary of that, which is, you know, not only don't stress about getting a top time, but maybe, you know, find find the best way to finish a run for you. And you know yeah. whatever that might be. And I know I, I feel like more and more I'm seeing, you know, communities being like, Oh yeah, like these are top tier strats and these are more beginner friendly strats or skips or roots or, or things like that and i right. and 12 hour challenge being a way to encourage that i think it's like probably one of the like ideal outcomes of something like 12 hour challenge yeah exactly and like the other thing too is if you think about it from like a learning perspective it's good too because like if you try to like if you're like forcing yourself to learn all the stuff at once it doesn't always stick you know like mm. but when you like study for a test in school you don't study all at once you study in chunks ideally so that you don't like, like it sticks better in your head. Right. So it's kind of like the same thing. That's, that's why I like doing it. Uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm obsessive. I will spend like 12 hours, like more than 12 hours straight learning a game. Cause mm-hmm. I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Can you, do you have an idea of how many 12 hour challenges you've done at this point? I, Cause I, I really wasn't sure what to expect from asking that question before. Yeah, Let me double check. I, 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 I can, I can tell from, cause sometimes I forget all the games I, mm, I've learned. Sure. Sure. Uh, cause it's, it's been a bit, um, there have been a couple of times where I was going to 12 hour challenge a game, uh, but I didn't want to wait for the weekend that it happened. So I just learned it early. Um, so I, I, in terms of like the actual games, I have 12 hour challenge. Let's see one. Yeah. Cause two, we, you listed off some, there was Scooby-Doo, Dog's this Life. Be, this was okay. So pumpkin Jack would have been my fifth. Fifth. Okay. Uh, yeah. So interesting. Cool. And, and I, I think it's really interesting too. I've, because I've never really talked to someone about this particular topic on the podcast. I wasn't sure to what extent these sorts of things uh, become part of one's speedrun repertoire because yeah. uh, I feel like sometimes I talk to people about it and it, it, it it's like oh yeah that was a PB I did during a 12 hour challenge once you know it was something they tried yeah. and didn't come back to which is totally fair um, so it's it's just interesting to see that it's become uh, uh, things you know an element of what what you've done do you, do you feel like Pumpkin Jack is a game that you're going to continue with and I don't know submit yeah. to marathons and stuff like that I yeah I I have I have gotten addicted to this game. It's just like when, it, it's it's like one of those like iceberg memes mm. um, where it's like once you start learning like some of the more ridiculous momentum boot stuff, it's just like oh I have been sitting here and it's now four a.m. Oops. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're, you're at the bottom um, of the iceberg now. Yeah, but it, it's interesting. It's also like one of those games I kind of want to share with people because um the the and maybe we can talk about this a bit later if it's more appropriate, but um, the devs actually built an in-game timer for the game, oh. like directly into the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can run ILs or you can run full game with the in-game timer and it works on all platforms. So you can be a PC runner or an Xbox runner or a PlayStation runner and you can compete with everyone else and not have to worry about any like load time shenanigans or anything like that. Like the devs did us a solid like that. So I always like sharing games with people like that. Cause I know uh, you know, someone who runs a lot of games, uh, it can like people might be like, "Hey, you know, you run, you've run a lot of games before. What would you suggest I run?" And so, like, I, I like being able to have games like that, where it's mm-hmm. like I can suggest a game to someone that it doesn't matter what platform they have it for, right? Because um, I think that's important for accessibility, right? Yeah, 
Absolutely. No, I, I really, I, I do agree with that. And also, I think, I think too, what's interesting here is that uh, as a part of preparation for these interviews, I watch a bunch of runs that you know you you right. kind of pointed out to me, and a lot of the runs that you had pointed out to me are licensed games from like sixth generation era, seventh generation yeah. era, uh, and typically. You know, those are situations where the developers are already kind of obscured by the license, right? Because the publisher yeah. probably just has a license deal. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you might not be able to find or, or be able to talk to the people that that worked on those games. Whereas now, uh, in this era of, of indie gaming and the internet and, and, like, the connectivity through social media, you know, you can really interact with people. Right. Uh, it's really, <laughs> you know, you can, and, and you just said that, right? Like, actually, do you, or do you know if, because um, you mentioned that the devs put an in-game timer uh was that the way you phrased that was that in response to like speed running or was that just sort of like uh, there's a great tool that that thankfully the devs yeah, provided it, it's, it's really a great tool um but just like kind of having run a bunch of different games um i know like i've learned firsthand how frustrating it can be when, especially, I'll give one example of a game I've run, the mm-hmm. SpongeBob movie game. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with that game on the GameCube version. And the GameCube, well, uh, at least, you know, five years ago, uh, the GameCube version uh, was by far not the optimal version to run. So even though I started r- learning the run on that, it was very frustrating to me because, you know, there were these people playing on Xbox that I couldn't compete with because they just had better loading times right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so um you know something i try to you know um promote even with my own speed games is just trying to kind of dispel that notion because it was frustrating to me at first but like um and I, I think as like things have as our community uh, i'm talking general speedrunning community yeah, yeah. Uh, like as our as our communities like changed over time i think that notion that i have to run on the fastest version is kind of dying a little like I, I think people are becoming a lot more okay with just you know being a part of the community mm-hmm. um in that sense but um you know i you know if i if i see something like that in the game where it's just like you know anyone can try it uh that's what i really look for and, and in some of my own speed games too i'll be like you know hey if you're playing on wii you don't have to switch over it's only you know like i i care a little bit more about like doing research on those kinds of numbers so like because the, the worst thing i'd want to have happen is like somebody makes an investment um, that doesn't end up being satisfactory to them. Right. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like that kind of console accessibility is something that kind of matters to me a little bit. Uh, if that makes any sense. I don't no, know. I, kind of absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll tell you one of the things too, is that because some of the games that you play uh, are indeed sixth generation games or your medievals, fifth gen, uh, yeah. this, this is definitely going to be a topic that we will be revisiting yeah. uh, soon. But in order to properly arrive at that topic, I think it's time that we go back in time. Uh, where does gaming start for you? Who does it come from? How did how did you get first introduced? So um, I was so I was pretty young. It would I would have been like four or five. Um, I, it's it's fuzzy because I was an idiot child. Uh, but basically, uh, we had a. Uh, I think we had our first console was a, like the PlayStation One. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brother and I, when we were that young, we were kind of like too scared to like play it because we were small people. Uh, so we would watch my dad play on the PlayStation, and the two games I remember from then. Uh, were Scooby-Doo Cyber Chase 
and Frogger 2 on the PS1. Oh. Those were the ones. And, and uh, it, it, I don't know if you know, like the meme of like, you know, like the, the younger brother playing with the unplugged controller. Being oh, the second yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a situation for uh, like that for us when we mm-hmm. were younger, like we didn't really understand what we were doing. Uh, my mom thought it was cute, but um, as far as like us sort of engaging with it, uh, the first, like where my, it, it was always me and my brother. We shared most of our games growing up mm-hmm. and the one I remember the most at the very start was Pokemon Sapphire. Um, basically, the way because my you know my mom was like the person like on you know Christmas like she you know figured out the game stuff. But like the, I, I think a, a way a lot of parents operated was they either um, you know they obviously like talked to like other p- parents, but sure. like, um, you know if there was like a show or like something like that that we watched they were like oh here's a game with that show's character I'm sure my kids will love this right because you know if you think about it from a parent's perspective who doesn't like my parents weren't gamers right mm-hmm. so they didn't really know they, they didn't really have a gauge on what kind of stuff we would like so they knew Pokemon was good because uh, my cousins liked Pokemon so they knew about Pokemon and they knew about all these TV shows we watched, like Scooby Doo and SpongeBob, and you know, Ed, Ed and it, and all these. Um, and it just so happens that like that era of uh, licensed games happened to be really outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, stro- big stroke of luck. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. So, uh, growing up, we kind of grew up on like the the those uh, six gen console SpongeBob games, like Battle for Bikini Bottom, SpongeBob Movie. Um, Scooby Doo Night of a Hundred Frights was one we had growing up. Um, so we really kind of grew up on like those GameCube, PS2 era licensed games and the Pokemon stuff too. Um, yeah. So, uh, from like, from like, like, I get like after the childhood stuff, I guess. Um, well, I, in terms I do want to ask before you get to the next, yeah. next uh, point in the timeline. Sure. You were sharing a lot of this stuff with a sibling. Yeah. Did did this stuff survive your childhood? Do you have it? Does your sibling have it? Yeah, uh, it's funny. Um, it depends on the game. Because mm. my, bro- my brother and I actually have a really great relationship. Um, we grew up as each other's best friends, pretty much. And um, we were pretty isolated and pretty sheltered growing mm. up. Um, so a lot of our early ga- gaming memories were together. Um, either one of us, usually it was my brother, um, but sometimes me playing through a game and the other would watch, or we'd like co-op a Pokemon game or something like that, or we'd trade all the time. And like, we would have the opposite versions of, you know, one would have Ruby, one right. would have Sapphire. And so, um, it depended on, uh, like we, we still have a lot of our old games, um, but who has what is kind of dependent on which, what, who, who had the more sentimental attachment mm. to it. Um, so a lot of, for my brother, for example, uh, his favorite memories from our childhood were us playing Pokemon XD and Pokemon Coliseum together on the GameCube. Um, so those discs are his. I do not get to touch those. Mm-hmm. Those are his. Um, but uh, one game that we had growing up for me was Chibi Robo. And that was a game that my, my brother liked, but that was the one that I was really more attached to. So the, the, the English disc of Chibi Robo that I have is the one that I had from 2006 when the game came out. Um, which is kind of interesting. So it, it really kind of depended. 
Um, oh, there was a, um, a good chunk of our library that we ended up uh, goodwilling, for lack of a better term, because mm-hmm. our PS2 that we had growing up died. Mm, um, yeah, that happens. So <laughs> it was just like, well, okay, you can't play these games anymore, so why are we bother keeping it around? And, you know, back then that actually kind of made sense to us. But, oh, yeah. you know, now looking back, it's just like, ah, why do we get rid of all these, you know? <laughs> Although... I mean, with some of the stuff we played on PS2, uh, it wasn't too hard to get a cheap copy. Sure, Thank sure. You. Yeah. Thank you, eBay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, no, I mean, some, well, that's the thing with PS2, right? Is it, you know, some stuff is super easy to source. Some stuff isn't. You know, it kind of depends on the game. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, and, and I'll get into this in a little bit, you know, further down the timeline, but, like, because I got into speedrunning when I did, I uh, that's sort of when I started picking up all these old games I used to play, but ended up like donating mm-hmm. uh, to things like Goodwill. Um, and as it turns out, uh, P- for multi-platform releases, PS2 tends to be pretty slow. So I didn't even really, I, I it, it wouldn't have even mattered if I had them. Sure. Um, How about this so, then? So now this might be this this might be a little further further down the timeline, but it's a sure. question I always like to ask. Uh, you're sharing all these consoles and games uh with your brother uh you mentioned at some point you know you guys did kind of divvy thing divvy things up because based on who really wanted this or that uh when was the first time where you would have gotten uh you know a major a major gaming item a console or whatever and that would have been just yours you know and then this could be your you know maybe you you moved out and you know you did something with your own money or something something along those lines um or you know do you have anything like that where you're like this is this is no longer no no longer me and my bro you know me and my bro in the house this is my thing this is just my thing um i would probably say uh probably when we when i got a ds Mm -hmm. uh was kind of my first experience my brother had one too eventually um but i was the first of the two of us to acquire one um, and that was like kind of my thing. I, I don't think uh, so. Pokemon Diamond and Pearl, which came, where it was like the fourth gen, the the first DS Pokemon games. Yes, yeah, the fourth not, gen. They, yeah, they had not come out yet when I I had like one of the original like su- like those like iron ingot shaped DS, those like really massive ones. <laughs> they were um, big. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I remember that kind of being my first day. I don't remember too many of the games I had for it before Pokemon, other than. Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants Super Sponge, which is mm-hmm. not an amazing video game, uh, but it is one that exists, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, but it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it wasn't really um, until like later on in the timeline that my brother and I kind of split our interests in gaming a little bit, mm. if that makes sense. Um, because uh, when I was getting into like age, uh, like late middle school, early high school is when I really started probably more early middle school is when I really started getting into Minecraft. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think around that time would have been beta 1.6. So there would have been a a fair bit. It's so weird that that game's old now. Yeah. You're (laughs) telling me. It makes, it makes me uncomfortable and I'm only like 22. So it's just like, (laughs) yeah, no, no, it's, it's, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I have a, I have a nephew who, who came up to me the other day and I was like, you know, Uncle PMC, can you help me make magic potions in Minecraft? <laughs> and, I, and I said, nephew, let me tell you, 
when I played Minecraft, there weren't potions. So uh, no, I can't. I can't <laughs> I help can't you. Help you. <laughs> That's adorable. So, uh, you know, it was, it was close. It was you know almost almost there. You actually segued into something though. That's usually one of my other sort of uh, pre speedrunning gaming questions, which is our focus is going to be on these predominantly single player games, that, right? But I do like to ask, uh, what sort of multiplayer stuff have you been into? It sounds like you know. You probably did some couch stuff with your brother. You probably yeah. did some Minecraft. Uh, I mean, you can expand further on that, or is there other stuff you'd want to mention? Yeah, you know, League uh, or we something. Were, we were never really into shooters, uh, like especially multiplayer shooters, because um, our parents followed the ESRB guidelines very strictly, um, except for Dog's Life, which I don't know how we got our hands on that game because that's rated T, uh, and you know they waited until we were thirteen mm. for the T rated games. Um, so, but yeah, so in terms of like multiplayer stuff, uh, Smash Bros Brawl with my brother was a big one. Um, but in terms of like the more, um, public multiplayer stuff, Minecraft was really the big thing for me. Um, before I got into speedrunning, my, um, as I got further into the Minecraft sphere of influence, I started really getting interested with the more technical side of Minecraft, uh, for those who aren't familiar, there's a system in the game called Redstone mm-hmm. that lets you build all these really cool contraptions and stuff. And I got really, really into that. And um, eventually I started making YouTube videos about it because uh, Twitch wasn't really a thing then. So streaming wasn't really a thing. And if you wanted to make you know video content online, you did it through YouTube videos. So I started, you know, doing like these redstone builds and posting them online on YouTube. And that's kind of where I got into the idea of not looking at games as like a thing that you play, but like games as a system of Mm -hmm. like a problem to be solved. A problem to be solved. Exactly. And I think that's kind of what led me into speedrunning in the long run. Um, in terms of what actually got me there, uh, I was a big fan of like the early 2014, like those like glitch compilation videos. Like even mm-hmm. outside of like speedrunning stuff, was, like different YouTubers. I think A and Start is the one I remember the most, who would like compile all like these uh, cool videos on like all these different useful and useless glitches that a game would have. And me, I remember me and a buddy would like try you know try some of these out at home to see because you know it was the internet we didn't know if it was real or not so we had to figure out for ourselves and obviously we didn't know about version exclusive glitches back then but of course i remember messing around with like majora's mask for example uh you know trying to get the fourth day glitch and stuff like that and it was through those videos that i learned about speedrunning because um, a lot of times those videos sourced speedrunners for some of the information on their glitches they would get you know uh help from uh glitch hunters and speedrunners and stuff like that for that content and we're pretty tied in with that community. So that's kind of how I learned about speedrunning as a practice. Um, so, so at that point, you would have at some point made the transition to watching speedrun streams on Twitch around that? Yeah, or? it wasn't actual like speedrun streamers. I would mostly just watch GDQs mm-hmm. um, and like individual speedruns on YouTube because I didn't really know what Twitch was back then. Um I, I was always kind of slow to those kind of things because we were kind of sheltered. I, I feel like we were kind of like on the tail end of like the generation that grew up with video games, but also grew up outside. Uh, <laughs> so like, <laughs> that sounds really bleak. Well, when I, I put mean, it there's that a whole way. new generation that's growing up inside for other reasons. Yeah. But, you know, 
you know, we didn't grow up with, you know, cell phones or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, iPhones and all that. We were kind of both, we were like the, the, the group of, uh, kids right before that generation. So, um, although to be fair, some other people my age did, but and that's another right. <laughs> that, might, that might be uh, a different, a different dimension of analysis than yeah. generational. But yeah, I guess from there for getting into speedrunning was kind of through the Zelda scene, um, the glitch because I was always really into the really busted glitches because mm. I just thought that was cool, um, and so um, I don't know how I like got there, but I'm just like okay. Uh, I eventually decided that I wanted to try speedrunning um, Ocarina of Time 3D because um, I like I didn't really have access to the original version because my brother had the Wii. It's another one of those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started, I'd messed around with the glitches on my 3DS and I'm like, okay, I want to actually try speedrunning this. So there was like a real, it's, it's, it's like seven years old now. There's this, uh, I learned this new game plus category, which um, is kind of unique to the 3D version of Ocarina of Time where you can actually, through the use of a glitch, start with a, uh, a, non-sword item on your B button. So what you could do is you could glitch Feyori's Wind, which is a warping spell, on your B button and okay. use that to warp to the credits. And and that was called the New Game Plus run. So that was like the first speed run I learned, and that would have been in like 2014 probably. And then very soon after is when I started learning Chibi Robo, which was, I kind of consider my first really main speed game because I was like, oh, I'm playing on a 3DS uh, I can't really record this. Let me play something I, I can actually record. I was about to ask. You probably don't have a recording of that speedrun. Yeah. Cause, yeah okay. Nope. Okay. That's what I thought. But but when you started doing Chibi Robo, that's still a console. So if you're if you're capturing that, we're still talking about capture hardware. Were you were you recording those speedruns? Yeah. Um. So I messed around with Chibi Robo. So Chibi Robo didn't have like the same. Um, visibility that uh, Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. did uh, in 2014. Uh, the the Chibi Robo community uh, at the very start of it all was centered around a, a pretty lengthy SDA forum okay. um, where people would discuss routes and uh, for a while the game was rather glitchless so um, every, every like eon that someone found something it would get posted there. Um, and so I think I watched someone else's run and then tried it myself, um, uh, because to myself, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm actually going to like this or not. Sure. So I'm going to try it once first. If I like it, I'll buy a capture card. Um, and so I did it. I liked it. It was a lot of fun. I think my first run was a three hour and 10 minute run. It was really bad. Uh, and then I picked up an Elgato, uh, which, uh, Elgato. Oh, uh, <laughs> not, not a fan. What do you? So I, I'm guessing it probably would have been like one of those like. Uh, actually, what, was, I guess one of those like HD sixty ones or no? No, it was, it was the regular. It was the regular one, right? Because yeah, because we're yeah. Go ahead and say it, it. would have been it would have been 2014, and yeah. I I still have that original one, okay. believe it or not, and I still use it for my GameCube mm-hmm. for very for travel and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 but. You know that I it took me weeks to get it figured out and set up because it's it, it's very particular. It loves to just not do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my journey from that into actually doing the speedrunning thing. 
and um, then I guess the another another sort of uh, milestone along the way is I I feel like it's a it's a it's a jump you know from not speedrunning to doing speedruns yourself. Right. Uh, it's also a jump to uh, from there to you know on a semi regular basis sharing that with other people you know via a platform like Twitch. Yeah. Was there a certain? I mean, were you because you mentioned a Chibi Robo? The 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 focal point of discussion was was an SDA thread, which makes sense. I mean, games, yeah. from, games from that sixth generation era often have you know pretty lively SDA threads if you go searching for SDA yeah. forums. SDA forums are a good resource. If you want to oh, speed yeah. run an old game, do a search for your game name on SDA and you might find exactly. stuff. I did uh, when I was doing Shogo Mobile Armor Division, uh, you know, I I had great success with that by by searching the right. thread there. Um so for you, at what point were, did you say like, "Oh, let me start streaming this on a regular basis?" Was there anything in particular? Yeah, well, at the time that I picked it up, another uh there were two other people who started streaming it. Um, who uh, were Glitch PhD and uh, Black Chaos. Uh, Black Chaos isn't really active anymore, um, but I, I became really good friends with those two. Uh, and then eventually, there were enough of us who were playing the game regularly that we made a Skype group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of part of this initial Skype group, and people were streaming. So I decided to do it, you know, myself. Um, and I really kind of like enjoy. Like it, it was kind of fun for me. Um, because I like, because, uh, like from going back to like the YouTube thing with Minecraft, I liked doing YouTube, but it was like a lot of effort because I felt like I had to pre-plan everything. Mm -hmm. Right. The nice thing about streaming is you could just click the button and just start playing the game and you could just start speedrunning, And that was like the really big draw for me. And what kind of pulled me away from the more YouTube oriented stuff is, um, and especially as sort of like the chronic illness stuff kind of came into play mm-hmm. is it was so much easy. It was so much more accessible for me. Yeah. Uh, in that sense. Uh, one was so kind of moving towards, uh, where, where we are now. I did want to ask, uh, about your history. I know you are involved with speedruns Rochester. Uh, yeah. And so I just wanted to ask, you know, uh, you know, sh- as much as you want to, I realize when when you affix something to a location, you're on the risk of maybe sharing more oh, information yeah. than you want to. But, you know, if you can share some stuff with us about being involved with a, you know, sort of a, a local speedrunning group, I would be very curious to hear, you know, how you got into it and, and what it's been like. Yeah. Um, so, so SROC stands for Speedruns Rochester. Um, I go to school in Rochester, New York, um, which is uh, like the the bit like way west of New York City, like almost by the Canadian border mm-hmm. uh, and by the Great Lakes. And um, I I go up here for school. Um, I'm studying game design and development. That's kind of my major. Um, and it turned out that uh, the year I I, I entered as a freshman uh people were starting up the speedrun club at the school um and it was sort of like a multi-school thing we had some people from rit which is the school i was at uh u of r and some of the uh a couple people from like the local community college as well um and so i saw the flyer for it and having already been a speedrunner i'm like oh dang this is this is this is my That's exciting so yeah exactly I, so I go to the call-out meeting, and I've, I've been with it ever since, and now I'm staff, which is pretty cool. Um, but as for, like, what we actually do, it's kind of it's kind of chill. Uh, we mm-hmm. Basically, it's a it's a six-hour club meeting on Saturday. Well, obviously, when we aren't in a pandemic. It's a, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a six-hour club meeting where every Saturday we just get together in a room 
on campus and we just speed run uh, or, you know, practice or just mess with stuff. Um, so it's really cool. We, we get like, we have like a classroom and people bring in like consoles and monitors. Some people even bring in PCs to do PC runs. Like there are little mini ITX builds, um, and stuff like that. And, uh, that kind of is like the foundation of like the main meetings. It's really kind of like a social thing where people are just sharing their craft, talking shop, especially about some of the more tech stuff like capture and all Mm. that rabbit hole uh <laughs> live split <laughs> all the tools yeah, yeah all yeah. the tools exactly yeah. yep, um yep. and it also helping like newer runners kind of get in or people who are interested in the hobby kind of getting them involved or giving them kind of a lens into what speedrunning is all about um and so we also do like other stuff too so for example we've run mystery tournaments and for those who haven't heard of what a mystery tournament is it's basically a um a tournament where of blind speedrun races where you get a bunch of people in a room and you have them blind race a game they've never played before to a certain goal whether that's to beat the game to make it to a certain milestone such as beating like the first boss mm-hmm. and it's really really fun uh and it it, it, it like uh so uh we had a couple of those and they've been really fun and they've actually gotten people to try new speed games because um, we've 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 done a lot of like itch.io games and a lot of like like old school like Game Boy games and stuff mm. that are like super easy to distribute. Uh, wink. But <laughs> um, those have been really fun uh, because it just kind of gets everybody together and it's it's nice. It's a, it's a really great icebreaker too for like a club setting because it puts everyone on the same playing field, right? Because you might have people who are very new to speedrunning and you might have speedrunning veterans who, you know, to a new person might seem really unapproachable because it's like, oh, this person's like so good, right? I don't know how to like talk to them. But then you have an event like this where you can kind of, everyone's on the same footing, you know, everyone's going into it with the same zero experience. And it's just a really great event. Um, And then we also run like, you know, more typical speedrun marathons. Mm. Uh, The, 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 most well known one we do is an in per well again yeah pandemic. normally <laughs> yeah normally yeah. in person event yeah. at Toracon which is an anime convention mm. run by students at OAT um, and we run a two day marathon there every in person Toracon and so that's been a lot of fun we've actually been able to get people from uh, other parts of Tri State uh, to uh, come in we've even had some people from the Midwest drive out cool. and do some uh, runs we had we had one. Uh, co-op team come in and do a golden axe run uh once that was super rad uh so yeah it's it's been a really fun thing i've I've just made so many good friends through it um it's just it's been it's been so fun oh and uh i saw it mentioned in chat uh we get ice cream every meeting too Uh, there's a ben and jerry's on campus which has become very problematic for (laughs) specific members uh like myself (laughs) so yeah gotta sweeten the deal that's kind of that's rock yeah. No, that sounds really neat. I mean, that's just, I think, you know, it's just one of those things that, that works out. And, uh, you know, obviously things are complicated right now, but it sounds like, uh, yeah. you know, you're, everyone's making the best of it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into the details, but I do have a you know personal connection to Rochester. And so it's really cool to me, uh, you know, yeah. to, to hear that kind of thing going on. That's, uh, that's a great town. And I was, I was in there actually, I was, I was up there in November of 2019 for a wedding right before all that happened. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was, it was great to be back there. Um, and it's you know, just cool, always cool to hear about 
fun yeah. stuff going down there. Uh, let's do some. Let's do some takes. Let's do some takes some about takes. speed Uh-oh. running. Uh, so we established earlier that like the very first speed run that you did without any recording was uh, Ocarina of Time 3D. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, Chibi Robo was the one you got around recording. So we got first game speedrun done. Of all the games that you have done runs of, what is your favorite speedrun? That's a good question because uh, different speed games do different things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most... If I, to give, if I have to give like a really boilerplate answer, it'd probably be Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions for the DS mm-hmm. because that is one of the only games that I can consistently do no resets of, which I know sounds really ridiculous, but I am a reset monster. Mm-hmm. I am really bad about it, but I can just play that game over and over and over no matter how I'm performing and just have a good time with it. Um but like in terms of like busted games, I really like Neopets uh, for the PS2, Neopets Darkest Fury. That's just really really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of in like a weird uh, parasocial way because pe- like people coming in seeing it for the first time are like, "What the hell is going on?" And it's kind of like that, not like Schadenfreude in effect, but it, it, you know, just like that kind of like secondhand. Oh yeah, uh, it's, it's a parlor trick. You get to see the crowd yeah. react. It's your, your, it's a performance, right? It's like that's, oh, exactly. I, that's a great part of speedrunning. I think is the performing aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, how about the opposite of all the speedruns that you've done? What's one that you're like, you know what? I didn't like this one. It wasn't for me. I'm probably not coming back. Yeah, um, probably SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom, mm. and not because it's a bad speed run. It's, mm. an, it's like a it's like a S tier speed yeah, game. Yeah, it's very popular. I would yeah. I would say. Um, but for me, what wasn't fun about that uh, was it was partially wrist pain um, because mm. one of the glitches uh, speed glitches in that game was actually fairly well known. Now cruise boosting uh, for me personally was a bit rough on my wrists. Um, it, it's, it's really cool. Um, but if you, uh, if you mess it up, you have to do the inputs again. And if you, you know, you have to practice it in order to be consistent. And my wrist just could not take it. Um, uh, and on top of that, there are other parts of the run that I didn't find as appealing, at least back when I used to run it. it things have kind of changed now as the speed game is developed in certain categories. Um, one of the big turnoffs for me was where the boss fights are kind of repetitive to me, uh, except for the final boss which is rad. Uh, but yeah, uh, just certain like compromises that, you know, I just wasn't willing to make because I was just more in love with other speed games, you mm-hmm. know? Sure. No, and, I, it's, you know, that's a, a good answer because you're, you know, you're, you're taking all the factors and you're like, this is the one that shakes out sort of the, the yeah. least aligned with what I want to do. How about a game that you would like to speed run? But you have not gotten around to it yet, either for you know time reasons or it doesn't fit with what you're doing right now. Uh, so th- I actually have a, a I have a really good answer to that. Uh, Medieval Two. Oh, um, okay. So Medieval One is a game that I already run, mm-hmm. and that's a really great run. Has great movement. Medieval Two is a whole nother beast. Um, so uh, if you check out the, G- oh, they, we actually uh, showed the game off at GDQ. My buddy uh, Jacobo the Chocobo showed the runoff um, at. Th- the game has uh, the first one has something called the speed glitch, where if you repeatedly tap forward in a certain rhythm, you gain extra speed on your base walking speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Medieval Two, due to some uh, uh, physics engine changes, rather than it just being a constant speed increase, um, it stacks every time you do the input. 
So what that means is it's an hour-long run of you just mashing the ever-living crap out of the D-pad. And you go so fast, but it's really hard to set up. And I've, yeah. I've tried learning it a couple of times now, and both times I just bounced off it because it's so dang hard. <laughs> it is probably the hardest game I've ever tried learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do really want to learn it at some point because I think the record for that game is almost six years old at this point. Oh. And I, re- I really want to see the game go down. Um, and if someone's, if someone's got to do it, I'll do it, you know? <laughs> Man, that's interesting. You know, because I, 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 I knew about uh, you know, the way you just mentioned, which was uh, you know, the Jacobo doing the run uh, you know, with yeah. doing commentary at GDQ. I just wasn't sure what the status of the sequel was in regards, and I can see it now. Yeah, it's five years old. Interesting, interesting. Well, you know, but but I mean, maybe yeah. or maybe not. You'll, you'll get to it. We'll, 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 we'll see. see. Yeah. We'll see when I can break this uh, crippling pumpkin jack addiction. <laughs> How about a favorite speedrun to watch that you have no plans to run yourself? To watch... Um... Probably, um, probably games from the Ratchet and Clank series. Mm. So Ratchet and Clank two, Ratchet and Clank three, uh, even Ratchet and Clank one as well. That whole like that whole original trilogy of Ratchet games is really really sick and has amazing movement. Um, I just don't see myself ever running it um, because I don't really have the hardware to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it requires PAL. Um, for certain categories and uh for uh for the second game you have to have a specific version of the disc which can be a little hard to acquire so that kind of has put me off a little bit but that game's movement toolkit holy crap (laughs) it looks so much fun to play uh but yeah no that's that's a good i I know i recently had the opportunity i think it was um actually it was last year probably to talk to dilwingo who's been doing I think oh, Russian yeah. Clank too. So yeah, yeah. No, those are still so homie. Those are those are neat. All right, so we got we got some takes. Uh, let's let's keep on moving. Uh, sure. So I you mentioned earlier uh, an issue of uh, of wrist pain, and this is usually a question that I ask runners, which is that you know when it comes to speed running, doing repetitive movements, things like that. Uh, do you have any particular approaches to to good health? I mean, it sounds like you did one good thing, which was to not to not do the you know the yeah. thing in bikini bottom that hurt your wrists. But you know, even stuff like medieval medieval two, that sounds like it could affect you. Do you do anything in particular? Um, it depends. If I'm having like actual pain, like my, like I've been actually pretty good lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, posture and stretching are like the two big th- biggest things I consider. Um, if I'm playing a console game, it's a matter of like the way I'm holding the controller. Right. Mm. Um, because I think like the way that you level, like your controller when you're holding it can put some like extra strain on your wrists and like your elbows, even if you're not careful about it. So like, if I'm like, like trying, trying not to like, you know, put my, there's like, I, I can't really like explain it like with English words super well. Um, but like certain positions I've found to be a little bit more conducive to better posture than others. Uh, it's just been something it's more just about keeping it in mind. Right. Mm, Because, mm. um, it's a mindfulness thing and just sort of building the habit is of just like paying attention to your body, um, which is kind of something I learned from being an athlete. Um, I was a, a a distance swimmer in high school and Mm -hmm. that's kind of like something you have to work on as an athlete is that kinesthetic sense. Um, so like paying attention to like your environment and how that's like 
hindering or helping you. I think that's something I try to consider. Um, Health-wise as well, my case is a little bit different. I mentioned that I'm a type 1 diabetic, Mm -hmm. I think, at some point. Um, And uh, that poses its own set of challenges for me because I have to manage my blood sugar. Uh, For those who don't know, um, basically, uh, when you eat food, it puts glucose into your bloodstream. And most people can regulate uh, the levels of that. Uh, It goes up when you eat and goes down when you don't. uh, Basic summary. Uh, I can't regulate that because I was born with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a result, I have had to learn how to either manage that mid run or adjust the way that I approach speed running to compensate for that. So for example, game selection is something that I consider. Um, I tend not to run games that are super duper long, uh, for example, because sometimes I might just need to, cut a run so I can go take care of what I need to take care of. And, you know, cutting off a run an hour in of like a two or three hour run really sucks. Yeah. But if you cut off like a run that's only like 10 minutes in into like a 20, 30 minute game, it's like, you know, I can just start up another run once I'm feeling better. Um, or for example, uh, the content of the game can also be important. You know, it could be a 30 minute game, but if it's a 30 minute game where I'm constantly doing inputs that might not be as necessarily as healthy, um, actually kind of a hot take I have. Uh, I know a lot of people get mad about uh, loading screens mm-hmm. in speed games. I think they are very important to speed games because I think people undervalue the rest that you need between individual segments and splits. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just a mental moment to like reset and to sort of adjust your mentality if you're like going for PB or to, you know, physically dial down a little bit so you're less, you know, emotionally or physically stressed. And, um, you know, I like part of the reason why, like, Chibi Robo is a game that I run, even though it's pretty long for my uh, particular interests, is that that game has a lot of cutscenes. And what that means is that I can kind of just mindlessly tap through the cutscenes and uh, take a little bit of a break. Because that game can be really intense Mm. in short bursts and in specific spots, especially if you have to do on-the-fly routing for that game, which is pretty common. Um, But, you know, during cutscenes or uh, dialogue, I can take a sip of water, I can check my blood sugar on my phone, I could grab myself a snack if I'm playing with my wave bird that day, Uh, (laughs) my wireless (laughs) controller. Um, So that's something I consider as well. And just sort of, again, just sort of listening to my body, right? You know, um, sometimes I I just, you know, you just have to accept that your, you know, your body has limitations. And, um, you know, I've stretched myself thin before trying to push myself in ways that weren't healthy. Um, Like, for example, when I first got diagnosed with diabetes uh, when I was 18, Mm -hmm. um, I was really running the SpongeBob movie uh, pretty aggressively at that time and i was becoming really frustrated because my symptoms were starting to get really bad and i didn't know how to deal with them yet because i was still developing those skills right so something that i actually did is uh instead of you know just trying to push myself in this game and try to get the pb i wanted i actually took a break from the game and i picked up a new run i picked up uh spongebob through the square which i picked up as a joke because <laughs> uh that's another game that was actually made by the same people who made battle for bikini bottom mm. the movie game um, which uh, people were vaguely familiar with, but no one really ran it because it was just kind of considered a joke. So I picked up a copy for like five bucks on the Wii as a joke, and I have been running it for almost four years since. <laughs> there you go. So, it, 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 you know, it's one of those things where uh, limitation breeds creativity, right? Like, I probably, it, you know, if it weren't for my diabetes, I don't know if I'd ever run Truth or Square. 
like that's just the long and the short of it. It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I, I think I, you know, just to underscore a, a point there is that when you have any sort of limitation, you know, here you were talking about a specific limitation associated with chronic disease, right. uh, but like even even the most you know healthy person, you know, you're going to run into limitations of joints and muscles and hands, etc. And like it's so important to listen to those, and even when you do run into these issues. Uh, you know, finding, find like listening to your body first, but also finding creative solutions is, is really yeah. helpful. As a funny example for me personally, I also do some music stuff, and I had right. a situation where uh, playing trumpet was causing jaw discomfort. I went to an oral surgeon, told me that I was going to have to uh, you know, do like a ten thousand dollars surgery to fix my jaw. Uh, I told my 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 teacher at the time about this, and he said, "No, I'm going to give you a different mouthpiece." Mouthpiece. <laughs> The mouthpiece got rid of the pain, and I also became a far better player, and yeah. I never got oral <laughs> surgery. Hopefully, it's been about 10 years since that happened, so hopefully it doesn't come back to bite me in the ass. Yeah. Point is, you know, obviously, take care of yourself. Do listen to medical professionals when appropriate. Yeah. Don't, don't always do what I did. But the other point, too, is that, you know, you end up finding, you know, I, I got better at my musical instrument you found uh, a you know a, a better speed game for you. I don't know a better speed game, but like a good speed game. You obviously enjoy yeah, exactly. square. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, I got to the point where once I got better at you know handling my stuff, mm-hmm. I could actually play SpongeBob movie again um, because I learned tricks. Like I can check my blood sugar during a loading screen, or I can give myself meds during a load. You know things like that. That, you know, people might not tell you, but you kind of just intuit. Right. Uh, like, cause like everyone's different, right? Everyone's body is different. Everyone's situation is different. Um, so just kind of like that intuition and that listening to yourself is really, I agree. That's really, really important. All right. Let's, let's slide back to some, some more lighthearted takes because sure. you have, you have played a bunch of portable game speed runs. You've done a bunch of different console speed runs which means I am confident that you have strong feelings about your favorite and least favorite controllers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Please enlighten us. Um, okay, so... <laughs> okay, so my uh, I would say best controller-wise for the games I run is uh, DualShock 2. Okay. PS2 control- PS1 controllers are great. PS3 controllers are also pretty good. And DualShock 4s are also really awesome, although I don't own one because... Mm-hmm. Uh, college student, but yeah, sure. uh, that's very but that's very fair. PlayStation controllers have always just felt the best in my hand, and also tend to be able to take the most abuse mm. um, for the most part. Um, I like the GameCube controller too. Uh, triggers are really bad. Um, I think the GameCube controller is a great controller if you're willing to modify it to your needs. Um, but like the default controller is kind of. I think it, I, I think it, like I think the only reason people like it is because they've played with it for so long. It's like the N64 controller, too. Like, that thing is just, like, objectively garbage. Like, it's so bad. I don't understand. I, I, I played Smash 64 with my cousins when I was five. So I don't, I, like, you can't use your, you know, you didn't grow up with an excuse. I grew up with it. It's still bad. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, sorry. I got a little tilted there. No, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I had, I had a thing just recently where I was trying to play a, the GameCube version of a game. And the uh, and, and I just got so frustrated with those shul- the, the the shoulder buttons on the game controller. Yeah. And, and then I played the PS2 version of it, and I was like, "Yeah, this is this is great. Like, why well, I should have just done this from the beginning." Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> just give me the analog buttons. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's so it's so strange. Um, yeah, I, you know. And also, I don't know why they. Why did you even bother putting that D pad on the GameCube controller? I, it's, I don't know what it is. Why, oh, it's every so tiny. Controller, but the PS2 controller has an awful D pad. Uh, Xbox controllers, terrible D pads. GameCube controllers. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the Dreamcast uh, has a, a D-pad, but it probably is bad, too. Oh, no, the Dreamcast uh, controller is just a complete train wreck. I don't yeah. even want to talk about that thing. <laughs> Looks like some PDA. Like, I'm just going to read this like a tablet. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't mind the VMU, but uh, the, the little, yeah, the little mul- the thing. But the, yeah. the actual buttons, like the actual stick and the uh, the triggers. Yeah, those look fine. Those are just... in- weird. Uh all right. It's like well, a malformed duke. <laughs> I also wanted to ask too, just because you've done portable stuff as well. Yeah. Do you have a favorite like DS or 3DS revision? For vision? Revision. Um, I mean like oh, revision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, obviously, revision. you know, okay. like with, with DS and 3DS, you have all these different versions of it. I mean I'm you may not have choices because I, I my yeah. guess is that your your capture setup probably demands that you use a particular well, version? But. Well, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of briefly explain mm-hmm. the way 3DS capture and DS capture by extension generally works. Um, the way it primarily works uh, is uh, through the use of like hard mods uh, that people in like these capture boards that people install directly into the console and have like a USB mini out on the backside, and so. Um, the two major manufacturers for these boards were uh, Loopy from the United States mm-hmm. and Katsukitty from Japan. And uh, Katsukitty actually went out of business because uh, the Japanese government got on their ass. I know. Uh, but I gave <laughs> tragic. Them, I gave them $500 right before they went out of business. Oh, no! I'm so well, sorry. I just unplugged my headset. Shout out to. Oh. I believe. You in there? You in Mortal there? More coordination. We're Do good. We're me? good. We're okay. good. I can hear you. The good uh, news is that uh, that PayPal did refund me the money. That's so good. <laughs> I don't know what it's happened to that. Still frustrating, though. Still frustrating. Um, yeah. I think Loopy does make them still now, and Loopy is generally the one people swear mm. by, um, just based on build quality, and he'll repair it if you send it back to him. Um, but I, it, for a while, neither of them were making them. Um, so there's like a whole like used market on like ebay and forums and stuff like that um i'll actually go grab my ds real quick it's just sitting on the um table over here so this is my this is the uh ds that i actually used for gdq Mm -hmm. um so it's an original 3ds xl uh, so what that means uh so there is like the new 3ds xl which has like a uh a right a tiny right thumbstick right above the x button very very (laughs) small uh and a couple extra shoulder buttons that are also very small um so this is like the revision before that it's actually the x and y like collector's edition Mm. like the bundle version i i just got lucky Mm -hmm. um and uh i mostly play uh chibi robo park patrol and spider-man shattered dimensions on this thing and uh Interestingly enough, I'm not a super big fan of the circle pad when I play original DS games because even though, like you know, the the circle pad would support you know in theory through three sixty movement, um, the D it, for DS games it just maps to eight directions. 
Um, so I actually, when I first started playing Spider-Man, I actually found that super limiting. Um, so I actually use the D-pad. And if you look at the, the location of the D-pad, it's underneath the circle pad mm. in a really awful spot. Yeah. So when I play Spider-Man, I have my left thumb down mm. here and my right thumb way up here. And it took a lot of getting used to. But it's actually not that bad, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, the DS has a good D-pad. <laughs> yeah, I know. The DS D-pad is not bad at all, for sure. For sure. Uh, that, that works out, at least. That one, that one holds up. Um. So, you know, while we're on this topic of hardware, because I, I was going to ask about, you know, your, your capture setup, because I know portable portable game capture setup is always an ordeal. Uh, we already yeah. talked a little bit about some of what you do with capture, you know, in regards to when you got into speedrunning Chibi Robo. Right. I did also want to ask, with this kind of stuff, um, there is like a horrible, horrible gaping mall money pit that surrounds some <laughs> of this stuff when it comes to things like uh ossc's yeah bbms stuff like that what is your approach to capturing stuff like six gen consoles like do you do you only play on crt or do you have some sort of converter for hdmi what do you do i okay i'm one of those weird people who uh isn't like a a crt loyalist Mm -hmm. uh my setup i use a startech usb3 okay for like actual capture and so with the way that that works, you have to, like, split the signal so that, uh, like, HDMI goes into the capture card and then up to your monitor, right? Um, so the setup that I use uh, is I use an OSSC. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's an open-source scan converter. It's a little uh, 3D-printed box of magical goodness that upscales um, RGB and component signals into uh, HDMI, which I can then just plug straight into my monitor. Um so the cables I use depend on the console because um, my uh, PS2, for example, natively outputs RGB. Yep. So I use an S-cart cable for that, and it looks good. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if, if it, like it is, it was worth it. In other words, <laughs> uh, it, it is it is a bit of a money put, like you said. Right. Um, but from for most of my other stuff, I use component cables. So for my Wii. Uh, for the OG Xbox, I, I just picked up for um, some of the other games I run. I use component cables, and uh, you can plug both signals into OSSC, and it just works, uh, which is quite lovely. Um, but specifically for PS2, I actually do something a little more complicated. Um, I have what's called a Freemic boot card. It, mm. it, it just it looks like a standard PS2 memory card, but it has this. Uh, Using like a memory card exploit, um, it runs on boot and just lets you do some soft modded stuff without affecting your PS2, which is really nice. Yeah, uh, it's it's really good. It's it's a firmware it's update exploit that didn't get patched until the last revision of the PS2. Yeah. It's very funny. It's and look it up if you're not familiar with it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so I run on a 770k PS2. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I wanted better load times, I could run on a 990k. Uh, but I. You know, that's another money pick. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. And um, so what I do is when I boot up my PS2, um, I run a, a program off the free make boot called GSM, which allows you to actually adjust the output resolution of the PS2. So I actually am able to like adjust it to be like 480p. You have um, just solved a puzzle for me. <laughs> Thank you. So... I have it never. Should be built, it should be built in your Freemic Boot if you have one. I have never um, used OSSC. I primarily use Freemic Boot for the purposes of doing open PS2 loader stuff off of yeah. a, off of a hard drive, an SD right. card setup. 
Um, the puzzle you solved for me, the last live speedrun event that I did was, uh, if you're familiar with MAGFest. Oh, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I, I did uh, I did a speedrun for MAGFest, and I was doing a PS2 speedrun. I was okay. doing a New Game Plus run. So, of course, I brought my memory card with me, so I would have... Right. You know the save file for the new game plus run, and uh, and they're already kind of having technical problems. And then when I sat down, I put the disc in, put the, my memory card in, pulled out whatever memory card was in there, and like nothing would capture correctly. <laughs> and eventually, someone else, some other tech person, came back along, and I was like, "Oh, I have to have this memory card in there when it boots." To get the graphical setting that the capture yeah, equipment is looking for, want. yeah, exactly. Uh, and I was like. What the hell does the memory card have to do with the yeah. converter? I just I just wasn't familiar with it, um, and right. I, I probably could have looked the answer up. But you answered the question for me. Then that's yeah. very funny, interesting. The, the whole reason I even went through that, uh, mm. I, I got uh, the free McBoot for Neopets actually because uh, uh, Neopets on the PS2 is another game that I run, and one of the other runners of the game actually created a whole suite of practice tools that you can load in through free McBoot. Oh. Uh, if you uh, run the if you run the uh, the EOF file and then mm-hmm. uh, load up the game, and that lets you do a whole bunch of really cool stuff that I'm happy to go into if you're interested in that rabbit hole. Um, but you told me about the GSM on the memory card too. So uh, I, I set that up and mm-hmm. it, 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 it helped. I, I like it because it kind of, I don't know, sunk cost fallacy. It helps me feel like I got more out of the <laughs> investment. <laughs> well, real quick. So I'm going to, we're going to get to games in just a second here. I wanted to sure. run by one more thing. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, capture, uh, how we view the games, the the video signals we're getting out of it, and uh, one thing that I I think about a lot, uh, I, a I'm a person who doesn't like collecting, and b I'm also concerned with investing in stuff that seems uh, ill fated to die soon. Yeah, uh, and we're approaching the expiration dates on a lot of of lasers right now. A lot of moving yeah. parts I feel from this generation of consoles they're starting to go, uh, and. You know, you can you can go down further the money pit, find a 90k PS2 or whatever the case might be. Um, I feel like in the long run, it'll all be emulation. Yeah. What is your feeling on uh, stuff like optical drive emulators? uh, I mean, PS2 loading from hard drive using OPL. What sort of? I mean, obviously, anything you do in speedrunning, be honest about your setup. Putting that aside. What is your feeling about stuff like uh, you know GDMU or uh, GameCube loader stuff like that? Like, do you, do you think that you know w- would people be doing runs on that, or is the yeah. path from real hardware straight to emulation? Um, it, I don't think it'll be straight to emulation because I think disc. So one thing that affects like speedrun accessibility for games from this era mm-hmm. is getting your hands on a copy of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll give you an example: Chibi Robo. Uh, average, just the disc. No manual, no box, 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal for a lot of people. If yeah. they want to try to cheap your robo speed run, um, you know, they could, you know, go for the cheaper Japanese version, but, you know, then they have to play in a language that they don't natively right. understand. Harder, yeah, yeah. And so um, I think in a lot of ways, it's, I think it's very important that we have these pathways for people to be able to compete on whatever, whatever they have going for them. Um, I've always been a fan of uh, separate, generally separate categories. Uh, that's the way that Medieval is set mm-hmm. up, uh, where you have a console leaderboard and an emulator leaderboard. And that's a little bit different because games can have like unique stuff. Uh, 
depending on the platform they're running. For example, in Medieval, there's actually a strat on the final boss that crashes on console but only works on emulator. Um, so there's differences like that that will probably come up as, like, you know, you know, maybe 10, 20 years down the line, this really starts to get rolling. Mm. Um, but I, like, I'm not one of those people who hates emulator. I use emulator for practice sometimes. Mm. Like, if I'm glitch hunting, emulator is so helpful. Uh, just being able to use save states and all that, super helpful. Um, but for me personally, I've never been one of those people who's been super, like, oh, we got to make sure, you know, I've always been about the honor system. And about building a community of people where we have mutual respect and trust for each other, uh, rather than being crazy policing on you know people's verifying people's runs and all of that. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, for me, speedrunning is about the people I meet through it. Right. You know. Sure. And I, I like speedrunning; it's a lot of fun. But the people you meet through speedrunning are like no one else. And to me, if we can get more people into speedrunning. I say we take that opportunity, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but in terms of like the way that we go about doing that, um, I think it, it's on a game by game cases, honestly, because for, in some games, running on, on emulator is actually slower than console. Uh, Battle for Bikini Bottom is a great example of that. So, th- in that case, like just allow the emulator runs. Like, why right, not? Right. Um, SpongeBob movies, kind of the same way. The load times are slower on emulator than they're on console. I would, you know, just allow it. But in other games, um, they've taken different approaches. Uh, Scooby-Doo, uh, Nine of Hundred Frights, which was made by the same people, runs a bit faster on emulator to, to, from loading times. So they, we, we do a different solution there where we allow people on emulator to submit runs so that they can get a feel for the game, but until a certain time cutoff based on relevant distance to the world record. Mm-hmm. So that way, we want to encourage people to play on console because that's the most fair evenly balanced mm. way to compete but at the same time we give people that window to decide if that's you know the speed game for them because again nobody wants to make that investment if they don't know this is something sure. that they yeah, really want yeah. you don't want to buy all that stuff before you really know you because, want it like even you know even just getting things like offhand like it, it does add up and you know like I mean, gaming in general um, has, like, that kind of financial accessibility problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but speedrunning is kind of, it's, like, not, like, more so, but it's, like, its own unique wheelhouse to that. Yeah. Um, and I've always been more on the pro accessibility side. Mm. I'm not one of those crazy purists, like, you know, you have to do it this way, you know, or, like, you gotta, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, like... You know, we're all going to just return to the dust. Of, I know this is going super deep. We're all returning to the dust of the earth anyway. Yeah. You know, why Why stress over it when we can just bring people together? That's that's how I feel. Let's get into games. I want to get I want to get the all stories right. here on how you got into some of these particular games because we have some interesting talent. I'm going to start with what I feel like is the most bonkers run uh, if, if folks, if you have not seen a speedrun of Neopets The Darkest Fairy, please consider watching it. It is very, very good. Lots of very good animations, flying out of bounds, all sorts of fun things. What is your personal history with this game? Did you have this game to yeah, play it when you were a kid? So we had this game growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother and I, um, when did we, you play uh, Neopets online? Did you have accounts? We did actually. Okay. We had an account, and so that's how our uh, my brother because um, we had a old Dell desktop machine that was our family's first shared computer, um, and 
we played Neopets online on like Internet Explorer all those years ago. And so we were familiar with Neopets and we walked into GameStop one day to um, purchase a game that we had saved up for. And there was this cardboard cutout sign promotional. It's one of those things where they have like the little mini like display video player embedded into the cardboard that has like a trailer in it. Um, they had one of those at GameStop for this Neopets game on the PS2. And my brother and I looked at each other like, we're buying this game uh, when it comes <laughs> out. So we bought it. Uh, and uh, again, it was one of those games that we had growing up, but because our PS2 died, we had no way to play it. So we mm. ended up rolling it. Um, and so as I was getting into speedrunning, I, I, what I would do for a lot of the games I run, I would you know check the speedrun to see what they were like because I was curious. And so uh, back then, the world record for the game was an hour and 22 minutes. Uh, and uh, by uh, then Pokemon Rocks, now known as Colquill, who mm-hmm. uh, has run a whole bunch of different games uh, over the years, but uh, was the world record holder at the time for this game. And I was hooked because it reminded me of all the Zelda stuff. Um, I'll probably go into a bit more detail, but this game is basically furry bait Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 this open open world 3D action adventure game where you go around, do quests, be a good knight, all that jazz. But in the Neopets universe, mm-hmm. so we liked Zelda, we liked this game. It was it was perfect, and so I'm like, okay, I got to learn this now because this just looks too cool. Um, now, now, since so you, I told our challenge it, yeah. Oh, you told our challenge it. One thing I was curious about, because you know, as you mentioned, the speed run had been around since before you had picked it up. You picked it up in the context of a twelve-hour challenge. Uh, have you been able to contribute to this game? Because my understanding, it looked to me like when I watched your uh, your current PB, which I think is also question mark world record. Yeah, uh, it's a forty-two-minute run. So. Right. So it looked to me like there was some new new tech in that, maybe new oh, routing. Yeah. Um, have you is that stuff that you've been contributing like how involved have you um, been with improving the route for this i have been for that game specifically mm. i have been more involved with optimization okay uh finding better setups for certain tricks uh finding uh slightly faster but more difficult you know thing like setups for glitches and stuff that's kind of always been my focus with that game uh so what happened to make the game get even shorter uh was when a new member joined our community monster 860 um, he is uh, also the person who wrote the practice tools uh, for the game, but he started uh, disassembling the game's code to sort of learn more about the game. And he originally do- did this because there, were, there was a bunch of unused music tracks in the game that he wanted to rip in higher quality and put on YouTube um, because, like, you know, some, for, for preservation reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what, uh, as he was doing this, he started to discover more and more things about the game and the way it was set up. And one of the things he found is that uh, we believe that roughly a quarter of the game never got finished. Mm. And one of the things that is left over in the game's data is this loading trigger that was part of a uh, castle re-entrance sequence to Meridel, which is like the main town of the game. And they never ended up finishing that bit, but the loading trigger they made for that is still in the game's code. So he def- he figured out a way to get into the castle, which normally took a giant detour for us to go do because of other glitches that are kind of complicated to explain. And that just cut off like, I don't know, what's 30 minutes, I think. Mm, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. There you go. Because we visit the castle twice. So you do. The- so it saves double the amount of time. So it's a little hard to do the math in my head, but <laughs> 
So that's that's what like I, that's what brought the game initially down from like an hour twenty two to sub hour. Um, at SGDQ nineteen, I believe we started we we did some like pre- races in the practice room, and I think I think Cole got like a fifty six, which was pretty insane. Uh, but just like more and more uh, stuff got found over time, and stuff is still getting found for the game. Uh, most recently, which got found, which is really really funny, is an infinite money glitch. And uh, so basically, after setting up a kind of weird text overflow, if you talk to the sign over and over, it just gives you infinite money. And that allows you to buy these speed potions that are basically like Skuma from the Oblivion run, mm-hmm. if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to run the game with about seven of those from some uh, quests that we did. Uh, but now we have infinite. So now we're just running around at the at light speed. Uh, so that's like a new thing that's been found. Oh, okay, yeah, because I, I, I knew from watching the run that there, the infinite money thing came up, but I wasn't sure. I, I guess I must have missed the part where that translated into the speed, because I, I certainly noticed the speed. Y'all walking yeah. around real fast. Yeah, because we used to start off that segment with seven potions, and now we get, like, 25. <laughs> and that's, like, enough to carry. Because the run is so short now that you can just get that money and just go straight to the end of the game with extra. It's it's pretty wild. Um, so it, it's, like, it, it, a lot of it's been Monster. Uh, Monster has contributed so much to the game, and has just done so much work that... Um, it, it's without him that like none of like me playing like, like me like I wouldn't have probably still be playing it by now because I think the game would have been solved without him, mm-hmm. frankly. Because um, you know how are we supposed to know? We didn't even know how to get out there to <laughs> right. find that trigger. You know, it's yeah. it's out in the middle of nowhere, and mm-hmm. that's what's crazy about it. No, uh, that's that's really neat. I mean, that's that's sort of the the invaluable uh, you know assistance that comes from someone going and doing code diving like that is because. Yeah. So like you can get answers, like you can know things when you have someone doing that in a way that yeah. you can discover stuff by playing and testing, but you're not gonna like know, you yeah. know a, a trigger. I mean, it's perfect example like is what you just said that here out in the space there is a loading trigger. Yeah, and, and it's also been accelerated by the fact that Monster wrote the practice tools. Um, so to go into a little bit of what he wrote, um, it, it, it's like a, a file that you run before loading up the game. Obviously, you can't use it during a run, um, but it allows you to basically load into any area you want. It lets you give yourself quest items or consumables, so you can set up a practice file with speed potions for movement. You can. Um, it allows you to... Um, look at specific addresses and actually like change flags within the game for testing purposes. It lets you uh, display your X, Y, Z coordinates on screen, uh, which was really helpful when uh, revive warping got discovered, Mm. uh, which allows you to warp to uh, a specific set of coordinates on a different save file. Uh, So that was instrumental in working with that. Um, Being able to save without using a save point. So you can save out of bounds if you want to, to practice a, a glitch and just reload the save whenever you screw up. Things like that really accelerated the progress of the game, and so like I can't understate like how important that was. Um, but also on top of that, a lot of stuff that's like crucial to run got discovered many many years ago, mostly by Cole. Mm. Um, so I think I, I, I've kind of uh, not mentioned it up until this point. The game's probably most famous glitch is something called ledge flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get this quest item called the cloak of potato. Uh, I said the cloak of potatoes because it looks like a potato set, <laughs> but the cloak of heroes has this property where if you equip it and de-equip it, it creates a ton of lag, mm-hmm. and you can use it to do all sorts of things. And the most important one is if you do it near a ledge in a specific way, you can actually start floating away from the ledge and through walls, and so. 
so that's been around for years and is really like the the backbone of the run um so that it's it's been kind of a combination of like that old tech in the SDA days from runners like Cole, but also like this new stuff too. So, do you have future plans for this right now? Because like certainly it seems like I I don't know if this is the sort of run like I don't know how difficult some of these clips are. If if like too many things yeah. went right in your PB to, to for you to <laughs> want to revisit it, you know, or yeah. is this a situation where you know someone's going to come along and grind this and probably improve it? Yeah, I, I do want to come back to it because my current PB is a 42.15 and the minute barrier is right there. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who really likes those juicy minute barriers. Uh, but like at the same time, um, I'm starting to gear. This is one of the games I'm really trying to push for SGDQ. And what, what I'm trying not to do is burn myself out of the game mm. um, with a grind like that. Um, because this- that will probably end up being a grind just based on... I had some mistakes, obviously. Mm. But, um, you know, I, cause what I found, uh, I, and we can probably bring these up later, uh, for the games that I ran at GDQ, I found that because I was prepping for them so much in advance that by the time the runs were over, uh, I just didn't want to grind them anymore, mm, uh, yeah. because, you know, I just didn't feel motivated enough to PB and I don't want the same thing to happen in the OPETs sure, because sure. it was on backup. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like, I feel like there was a good chance. So I don't want this to happen again. Cause I love this game. <laughs> Well, you look like you want to mention something else. No, so. actually, I was going to mention exactly what you just said. That it, I was just going to confirm that it was on backup for for GDQ, and yeah. I also, I also, I was going to ask if you're going to try and submit it to another GDQ, and you answered yeah. that too. So maybe it is time that we talk about those uh, those GDQ runs. Uh, so you had two runs at AGDQ 2021. Uh, one yeah. of them was Spider Man Shattered Dimensions. Uh, one of them was Scooby Doo Night of Hundred Frights, which you did as, as a race. Uh, what is your story with Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions? Of course, that's the specifically the DS game. Yes. Which is I say game because it is a separate game yeah. than what would have appeared on uh right. on home consoles. Right. Uh was that one you played back then or did you come to this more recently? No, this uh so if I if I didn't play like play a game growing up and that's how I started to speed on it. Uh, one of the great things about running obscure games is you get to know a lot of other people who run obscure games just by uh, you know the shared space and all that. Um, so I was actually turned on to this game by uh, Mr. Shasta, who's mm. pretty well known in the handheld uh, speedrunning community. And this was a game that he had learned, um, and he was the only runner for it. And so I saw him streaming the game one day, and I'm like, wow, this looks amazing. I need to play it. So I bought the game. I played it, and then I proceeded to play it eight more times all the way through. It was that damn good. <laughs> uh, and then I was going, like, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, I was going to 12-hour challenge it, but I couldn't help myself. I, I learned it early. Um, and so I I grinded and grinded and grinded that game for almost a year and a half. Um, that game's move... So for those who don't know, the DS version of Shadow Dimensions is a 2D Metroidvania platformer with Spider-Man powers. And so what that means is you have all these web zipping moves that you can do to like pull yourself off the ceilings and walls and stuff. And there's like whole, so many different ways that you can go about it. Like you can do different setups and everyone kind of has their own way of playing through it. Um, and it, it was, it was so addictive. You know, it, sometimes you just get a game like that. That's just like, how does nobody know about this? So I, you know, sometimes when I get a game like that, I feel like this obligation to try to get it into marathons so that I can get more people to play it mm-hmm. because I, I feel like a speed run can be like a really good pitch for people to try a game or to even learn it. 
And so that's what I did. I grinded it to try to get help because Shasta had been trying to get it into GDQ for a couple years at that point and mm-hmm. had no success uh, because getting into GDQ is really hard. Sure, uh, very competitive. So, Lots and, of people submit you know, good games. Yeah, and even me, I submitted for like two or three GDQs and got rejected across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but AGDQ, it finally happened, um, and it went really, really well. It was a lot of fun, and for me at least, I I, I just try to sh- like put on a good show for people, so like pe- like to try to make the game look as good as possible. Um, this is gonna sound kind of weird, uh, but especially when I do like marathon stuff, like I want the games I run to outlive me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this kind of goes back to sort of the chronic disease thing, where it's just like. It's going to sound weird for a 22-year-old to say I know, but I'm a little more aware of my own mortality than most people mm-hmm. because, you know, sometimes with diabetes, um, you know, if you're having a rough week, sometimes you don't know if you're going to wake up the next morning or if you're going to have to go to the hospital if something gets really bad. Um, and that's just the nature of the thing. So sometimes – and that's not always healthy, but sometimes I have this pressure on myself to put on these good shows for people so that people are still playing these games long after I'm gone. And, you know, I believe it was a success with Spider-Man. I actually got bopped in that game not too long ago. Um, which, I did notice that. I saw that yeah, on the leaderboard. Which I was, like, was oh, crazy. Fresh competition. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm not surprised because uh, the guy who, uh, the Master Pro, who's the runner who ended up beating me, um, also is the world record holder for Web of Shadows DS, which is in the same engine as Shadow okay. Dimensions That DS. makes sense, yeah. So he had a lot of legacy going into it. Um, but, like, you yeah. know, even just getting more people to run the game and to try it, or even just, you know showing a cool game to people like i um i shouldn't have done this because i know this is like just a recipe for disaster but i mm-hmm. went back and looked at the twitch chat during my run to see what people's reactions were because you know when i do marathon commentary i, I try to look for uh, more candid feedback because yeah. you know I, I try to improve what i do Absolutely. in my craft um and just watching people like be like you know like all right i'm getting a copy of this game now you know from people i'm just like yes yeah. <laughs> you know it's just like that's exactly what i want you know even if people don't speed run it, i just want people to play this game because like the devs work so hard on making this really cool thing um it was i think the devs actually tweeted about it when they oh, yeah? saw like the gq tweet. it was really crazy and it was like, so you know like I, I'm one of the devs. Thanks for running this. I'm just like, wow. You know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that just makes it all worth doing, you know, mm-hmm. kind of all wraps together. No, that's really neat. Um, so what, okay. So you did that one and that is a great VOD. I definitely, definitely recommend going and watching that. The, the it's, it's hard for us talking like this to do justice to how neat the movement is. Uh, yeah. it really is just, you have to see it to, to believe it. Um, now this isn't the first time this game has come up on this podcast. Scooby-Doo night of a hundred frights. Uh, make, oh, right. <laughs> making its return return to we last mentioned when we had uh, when I had waifu on um so I think this one maybe you mentioned earlier is a game that you would have grown up with yeah so my brother and I grew up with this one and this would have been one of the games that I kept uh mm-hmm. because my brother kind of bounced off it a little bit more he didn't like it as much um but I kind of connected a bit more with the game uh for those who have not tried it um it's made by the same people who made Bow for Bikini Bottom uh, it's a 3D Metroidvania platformer, which sounds weird for a Scooby game. And if you check the, the comments on the YouTube vibe, there's a lot of people saying the thing. But no, it literally is. You go mm. from it, – it's kind of like a Crash Bandicoot 3D Metroidvania where it's, it's it's got some of these more you know standard 3D levels. But you've also got some of these 2.5D kind of levels where you're kind of going through these linear paths that kind of branch out everywhere. And you get these different power-ups to help you throughout the game. 
uh, as Metroidvanias go, though, it's very easy to sequence break it. And um, I think what makes the game really cool is, like, the movement of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, this charge attack that Scooby does, um, and it lets you build up some speed, which is pretty fun. Uh, but if you cancel the animation early, it actually loses you speed because the animation has a wind-up to it. So a lot of the runners have, like, sort of perfected this craft of knowing where to place these charge inputs in order to maximize the, the, the speed. And um, it, it's probably one of the larger communities I've been a part of, which uh, sounds pretty weird, but there's a lot of people running the game. When I, I, so this was another game that I 12-houred. Um, and when I picked up the game a couple years ago, the game was fairly um, inactive mm-hmm. when I played it. There were a couple of people still playing the game. I think Admiral and Baz were people who were still playing the game at the time. Um, but it wasn't like until after I started running, about a year after I started running, that people really started to pop off and pick up the run. Um, but I started; I would have been a sophomore in college when I started running the game, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. the Scooby community is really great. Um, they are a really amazing group of people, and I, I say this a lot about pretty much every game that I run. The community is amazing, but there's something about small, like obscure games that just have the best communities. Because there's just so much less ego about it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, people, people, like, you know, like, you know, it's so much more laid back. It's chill. People are so friendly and willing to help you out. It's just, it's, it's a really great vibe. And the Scooby community is a prime example of that. And um, it was really crazy, too, uh, that we got into GDQ with the game as well. Because, you know, it's the Scooby-Doo game, you know? And that was what was really crazy to us. You know, there were a lot of, there were a lot of other good licensed games that got submitted that GDQ mm-hmm. um, and that they took Scooby and that they took our race was the big thing. So um, I actually raced. Uh, we did the, the, the GDQ run as a race. So it was mm-hmm. me versus snowy Moogle and what's called uh, no CE or creepy early, which is a trick that's exclusive to the Xbox version of yeah. the game that turns the run into like a 15 minute run and uh, <laughs> cuts the two most uh, interesting movement levels mm-hmm. of, the, of the game. Uh, so we ran that as a race and it was a lot of fun. We actually, uh, went pretty close. Um, it was kind of an interesting situation because, um, Snowy was, uh, definitely the better runner, uh, at the time. I, I still think we're, that, that, that would still be the case. Although mm. both of us are kind of burned out, uh, especially <laughs> I yeah, and, and the game has kind of taken a different direction since after GDQ and some discoveries got found. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, there, I'd be happy to talk about that too. Right, it's yeah. Just, um, yeah, but it, it was a really great time. Uh, and, you know, again, people enjoyed it. Um, it. There was something weird that happened too as well, I think, where uh, there's like Easter eggs in the game where like on certain holidays, like it will play fireworks, like 4th of July, it'll play fireworks. Um, and some of the devs birthdays, we think have some of those effects. And that actually happened to snowy in the middle of the GDQ run. It swapped over from 11 to midnight and caused new effects to happen. And snowy still won the race with that distraction. So that was pretty funny. Yeah. It's funny to think about because the, the six generation consoles, uh, generally do have system clocks with dates, you know, operating in them. Uh, I feel like some games we think of it more than others. I, I know, the Xbox, whenever if you unplug an Xbox and then plug it back in and boot it up, it's like, hey, it's November 2001. How's it going, buddy? And I'm like, no, it's not. Shut up. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> um, yeah, but but uh, you know, but even on, on the PS2, of course, that that is in fact there. I mean, that's why you have that you know that beautiful dashboard uh, system clock that we, we yeah. all we all love. 
Um, and I, I remember watching that. That was really, that was really stunning. They just started getting those fireworks effects in the middle of the run. Yeah, and it's funny too because when we were prepping for that, it happened to me, um, and I actually uh, fixed it. But uh, Snowy is from uh, uh, British Columbia, mm-hmm. so Snowy's in a whole other time zone. So Snowy didn't like even bother to think about that because it was you know still early evening for Snowy right. then. And so by the by the time the run actually happened, it was just super. It was super crazy coincidental, I guess. How did you? So you had the the opportunity. I, I want to get this comparison question here. You you did a solo run uh, with one commentator, and then I think with the uh, the other run, you had both of you were in on the call. And th- did you have one or two commentators in the race? I forget. Uh, we had one re- commentator. In one commentator. How did you feel really about the guy. about those different setups? I I feel like especially doing uh, an online event race with everybody in the call. How was that? Would you change anything about how you did that? Um, honestly, uh, like it went really really well. We mm-hmm. practiced a lot, and I have to give a huge shout out to Nastani. Um, Nastani honestly worked about as hard, if not harder, than either me or Snowy for the GQ run. <laughs> Um, because not only did he practice the commentary super duper hard because he, for some sections he had to solo commentate mm-hmm. because Snowy and I had to focus on making certain cycles and such. Um, but at the same time, he also wanted to make sure that there were updated tutorials by the time that the GDQ run dropped. So we spent that entire week leading up to the run, just grinding out a new tutorial video for the beginner route, which is called no GGS. Mm-hmm. And, um, on top of that, like, the, like, like everything just kind of fell into place. Like, um, what, what I wanted out of that run was it for it, for it to be a close race because that's what generates hype and for, you know, the, it to be fun and the commentary to be good. And especially in a race setting, I, I find that when I do GDQ com- or commentary in general, I, I try to be careful because if I, if I'm, if I don't keep it in check, I tend to be the main talker. Mm-hmm. Um, generally. And so what I wanted to try to do was to try to, you know, let Snowy and Nastani really shine through because they're also really good at commentary. And, you know, this is also their opportunity too. Um, so I think I did an okay job of that, but, you know, at, at some points I feel like I, 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 I should have shut up a little bit. Um, but in terms of like, you know, the setup and how we did things, uh, it was pretty great. It was it was really they made it they make it really easy on you it's it's mm-hmm. actually really nice oh yeah um, no they, they the the tech folks all the producers and everything they do an excellent job with uh with gdq stuff all right i wanted to before we before we start heading for the the exit of the formula script i did want to touch in we already we already talked about about chibi robo and how that was something that helped you get in early the capturing with that so i wanted to just do a quick drive-by on uh on how is it that you got into medieval because that's older than yeah. you know, a lot of the games we're talking about are like mid-2000s games medieval that's a ps1 game how'd you end up speed running that um it, it, this is an interesting one i was uh in ecdysis's chat if you don't mm. know who he is he is he's, a horror game speedrunner i think overboost number nine i think is uh oh wow he, i didn't know he's on the show <laughs> <laughs> so i got him yeah yeah, um, but people in his chat were t- uh, uh, in his stream were talking about the game Medieval mm-hmm. and talking about how it was like this, you know, spooky little. Uh, I think they were making comparisons to something Acidisis was running at the mm-hmm. time, um, and they were talking about how it was this like you know 3D PS1 platformer that was kind of action adventure. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like my thing. And so I googled the game to see what it was about, 
And I decided to uh, buy a Medieval 1 and 2 and give them a try casually. And I really enjoyed it. And then I learned the run. Uh, it was kind of one of those weird things. Now, this is one of those instances where I didn't 12-hour it. Um, I would not recommend 12-houring Medieval because uh, medi- the, medi- the two me- OG Medieval games are some of the hardest games mm. I've ever tried speedrunning. Um, it took me two weeks to learn Medieval 1. I- I'm not even exaggerating. Uh, that game is super, super hard. Uh and, and not even just because casually, but some of the glitches are really hard, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it was one of those kind of weird scenarios. I just heard about it on the grapevine and just decided on it. Um, and then the community itself kind of got me further hooked in because uh, everyone was super friendly. Um, yeah. Cool. No, that's – I mean, that's, that's interesting. I, I think, too, you know, you've <laughs> talked about games that you – have picked up because they were favorite childhood games of yours but also too i think you know, you've had two examples here one was uh you know mr shasta and spider-man yeah. and here you know you were involved with ecdysis community you saw people talking about medieval uh and that and that paid off i'm gonna start moving for for the exit of the formal script sure. here uh one of the things i do to connect the interviews together is I'll kind of do a, a question relay where i get a question from my previous guest to hand off to the next one my previous okay. guest was Apache Smash, uh, Metal Gear Solid Runner, Saf for Metal Gear Speedrunners. And uh, he had this question for my next guest, uh, which was, um, and, and you can you are welcome to apply this to whatever speedrun community you want to apply it to. Sure. What have you done personally to help make your community a better place? How, would you, how, have, you, how have you contributed? Um, I think the... the- the thing I try to do the most is set an example, if that makes sense. And I'm, I, I, of course, I'm, you know, I'm human. I'm no saint, mm-hmm. but you know, um, I, my, 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 my theory on people, especially because a lot of the communities I've, I'm, I'm involved in, even though they're starting to become older games, the communities tend to be generally younger. Um, a lot of times, people in those communities tend to look up to people based on gameplay. Um, which, you know, that's, you can go into all sorts of psychoanalysis on how flawed that is, Mm -hmm. but that's just a matter of fact, you know, the people who are, are the top runners tend to be the people, um, who have their behaviors modeled after. And so what I try to do is I try to be a model for the type of community that I want to see. Um, so for example, um, being uh, supportive of the LGBT community is really important for me. Um, at, even before, like I, you know, realized that I was, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the same time, um, I had had experiences in the Smash community um, where um, I used to play Super Smash Flash Two competitively. I know that sounds kind of outlandish, um, but that community, especially back when I started speedrunning, was kind of toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of bad stuff was getting flung around, and um, the speedrunning community was a lot more friendly in that way, but I also didn't want to become complacent, right? So sure. I think it was, you know, especially, you know, anyone here who has that kind of, you know, sphere of influence in a community, I think it's really important to be explicit about these kinds of things, um, not just kind of, like, reactive, if that makes sense. Um, so, like, for example, uh, like, you can ban someone who says a slur, right? Um, and that's and that's great. You know, you do that is a good thing to do. Mm. But at the same time, I think it's also important to actively be supporting those kinds of marginalized groups or actively be supporting people, you know, and that can be as simple as, you know, just chilling out in people's streams and being friendly and showing positive encouragement to people. 
because, you know, you want to have a community where we, you know, positively encourage everyone. And that's not always the case. And, you know, it's really easy to take those things for granted. Right. Um, but I, my, my philosophy is, I think it's important to actively foster those kinds of things. I don't know if that answers the question. No, I think that answers the question. I, and I honestly, I think that was probably the sort of, uh, answer that, uh, Apache was looking for, you know, which, mm-hmm. which is to say, what do you, what do you do to make it a community, to make it a, a place that people want to be a part of? Because I think what you brought up, you know, moderation and that kind of labor is necessary and important and, and an essential part of maintaining an internet community. But at the same time, you know you're you're taking you're taking out the garbage for for a reason, which is to have yeah. this thing that is so personally enriching and rewarding. So no, yeah. I think that's I think it's exactly right. Now but that does mean that I do need from you okay. a question for my next guest. Uh, it doesn't have to be about speedrunning. It will be answered by a speedrunner, but right. you can make it about anything. I've I've gotten questions. I've had like favorite dessert. I've had like music questions. Uh, you can do I, whatever you want, but it will be a speedrunner answering. Right. I have an interesting one. So okay. I remember when you, I, I watched your interview with Enigma, mm-hmm. and you talked about how you don't get food, enough food questions. Okay. So I have a food related question for you. All right. Um, I for your next guest, I want to ask them. What is a food that you hate the smell of, but enjoy the taste of, and why? Oh, I'm going to be very. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I get you. That, that it's you don't like you don't like the smell, but but you do you do enjoy chowing down on it. Yeah, because everyone is there's there's always that question of like you know what do you enjoy the smell of, but hate the taste of, and everyone says coffee, and it's not an interesting question. But I thought mm. the other way around would be kind of funny. All right. So as as is my usual custom here, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know uh, who it is. You might recognize this. This is a uh, another another obscure speedrunner. I would say. I don't know if they would say this, but um, so but this should be a fun one. I'm looking forward to that. They, this person this person has run a bunch of games that I've like watched runs of. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad getting him on the show. So yeah, he's a good, I'm, he's a, he's a good friend for mine. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it then. So he'll, he'll be the recipient of that question. Uh, what about future games that you are in that you're looking out for you're like i might play this on launch you're excited about it um oh uh, like releases yeah Um, yeah, upcoming releases that you're keeping an eye on well there are a couple of things that released recently i'm trying to yeah you can mention recent releases i Uh, unfortunately again like like so many other things i feel like we have entered the (laughs) we've entered the part of the pandemic where development was lightly impacted and so yeah. I feel like we're seeing very few releases right now, which is understandable. I would rather people be healthy than you know make video games in a, a infectious environment. Right. Um, so Blue Fire came out recently, which was something mm. I was kind of getting excited for, which is a kind of a 3D Zelda-like game with some Dark Souls-y stuff thrown in there for good measure. Uh, that just came out and appears to be a pretty good run. I don't know if I'm actually going to pick it up yet. Um, I've heard there's some like crashes and stuff that need to get fixed, but that was something oh. I was kind of looking forward to. I actually, uh, um, so two weeks ago I had Emray on the pod, uh, oh, and, okay. and yeah, and they were, they were running that. And, uh, I mean, so I watched what it looked like two weeks ago and it seemed pretty good. I don't know how it's, you know, obviously it's developed, like, but right. It's, we're so close to launch. So things are probably constantly changing. Yeah. Um, in terms of like upcoming games, like long term, um, there's this, uh, one game that I've actually like been really interested i don't know when it's going to release uh it's called misc a tiny tale 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a uh, 3D platformer in development, and it is, uh, I think it's for PC and maybe other platforms. I'm not sure. Uh, it's Chibi Robo inspired. So you play uh-huh. like this little robot made out of, you know, miscellaneous objects, hence the name. Like you're made out of a tin can and a couple of tiny little light bulbs and some pins and other various metal objects. And it's a little 3D collectathon. And it looks really, really promising so far. Uh, the devs actually gave me the opportunity to play a pre release build. Um, like of the first uh, the first level, which was really a really really cool opportunity, um, and they've been kind of active with the Chibi Robo scene, so that was that was really cool. Definitely would uh, I, I can uh, get you all some information in the Q and A later if you all are interested. Um, so that's probably the other one that I'm really mm-hmm. really looking forward to in the future. There's also this game that was shown off in like the PlayStation uh, Direct, for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> the state like this, of play. Yeah, the state of play. <laughs> uh, so there's, there, there's this like game where it's like this 3D like movement based platformer where you have like a bow and mm-hmm. you like shoot at targets to build up speed. I don't remember what the name of that game is, but it looks rad. Um, so I was looking, I was really looking forward to that. And then also whatever game, I've, uh, Solar Ash, the game that the mm-hmm. Hyperlight Drifter devs are making, that that also looks really promising too. How about so you know we're making our way towards the exit of the script and folks if you're if you're watching there will be an opportunity for live Q and A once we wrap up the script, wrap up the script so if you have any questions you know get give it in mind um, who should people in the community know more about if you could if you could flip a switch and put more eyeballs on uh, you know a one person or a few people who would those be um let me think. I mean, I could shout a lot of people from my own communities, um, for sure. Um, probably Hel- uh, Helix would be a really good mm. um, choice. Helix is uh, primarily, they are a super monkey ball runner, but I've also forwarded into other games. Uh, Helix is just one of my best friends in the community and mm-hmm. has a great stream community as well um, as just doing a lot of good for the speedrunning community, you know, being you know bring visibility for people you know the kind of stuff i talked about with the previous question uh helix 13 underscores their channel if you'd like to go give them a follow um also got a shout out demonic robots who uh runs like a whole different suite of games and has been focusing on control also a good buddy of mine and i wish more people knew about demonic also Um, uh you can go go into the archives and find demonic on the podcast as well oh i didn't know he was on the podcast i I have had demonic on as well so no definitely yeah yeah yeah, that's a good one uh well where okay so where should people find you where if they want to if they want to see jaxler content where are they looking (laughs) Um, so I'm most active on Twitch. My Twitch channel is just Jaxler1. Um, I tend to stream in the evenings, uh, generally around the time this podcast starts. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, my Twitter is also JaxlerSR, but I mostly use that for saying, hey, I'm doing the thing tonight of speedrunning. Um, and then I also have stuff on YouTube as well. Just search for Jaxler. Um, yeah, but if- yeah. I was going to say, if you're with us live, you can find those links in the chat right now. If you are watching or listening after the fact, uh, all those links to Jaxler's channels uh, should be available uh, you know, in the in the appropriate description, whether that's on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. Uh, Jaxler, thank you so much uh, for giving me all this time. Yeah, of course. And thank you for having me. This was a blast. Now, to conclude the formal part of the podcast, I do need one more thing from you. Uh, okay. What... What what what's what you, what I need from you is that I'm gonna say a cheesy catchphrase like "Let's boost on out of here," and then 
I need you to give me your best rocket engine noise. All right. Okay. Folks, thank you so much for listening. Let's boost on out of here. Nope, that was good. That was really good. I don't good. know what that, that was. That was excellent. <laughs> that was very. No, I like that. That that was a good. That was good flavor. All right. So uh, if you got questions for Jaxler, you can go ahead and uh, throw some questions in the chat. Uh, this is a live Q and A. Also, yeah. hi Colt Zero. I I, I saw. I, I typically don't respond to chat during the podcast itself. Uh, but you know, I'm glad. I'm glad people are finding this through the you know front page of Spirit.com. They've been the folks, uh, the the product manager in particular, uh, Spark and Lewis has been very very nice about you know letting this podcast go onto the front page. So I'm always appreciative of that. Glad to see you found it through there. Um, usually I do this once a week. So if you, if you like the podcast format, and there's a whole archive too as well. Uh, all right, we got. I think we got some people here. Looking yeah, to start uh, trouble. I'll ask you one real quick, and then can I take a quick restroom break while we're waiting for questions to come oh, in? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, go, go, yeah, go sure. take care of yourself. Let me go do yeah. that right now before we, while we wait for questions. Yeah. Sorry. Enjoy my plushies. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll do. All right. So we got. I'm going to ask him the question about the name. Um, If he wants to share that, you know, you know, I, <laughs> if he wants to share the information about the phone app, for for diabetes and certainly he was you know very generous in sharing information about how he manages that um (laughs) well i mean i guess i I could mute him and there's no no audio coming through so i'm not too worried about him (laughs) can i can you hear something from it i guess he walked away you could still hear it it'll be fine what could possibly go wrong splushies are making noise they do kind of they are kind of loud are this what is pokemon plushies I think it's a squirtle on the left, right? Something like that. Uh, but yeah, all right. We got Jackson name. <laughs> ditto variants of Pokemon. They're all suddenly. Suddenly, it's all ditto. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about the number of viewers, DVK? Well, so right now the the stream for when I do this podcast, um, I I have, uh, have it on the front page of speedrun.com. Uh, you know, helping helping share people in the speedrunning community out there. Um, we're just waiting Sorry for yeah, no problem, no problem. I'm it's totally happy to accommodate. So, what is the origin story of the Jaxler name? Oh, <laughs> so. so, so- some some have already heard this story, I think. Um, but I mentioned Minecraft uh, when my brother and I were in middle school, mm-hmm. um, and we, um, we, you know, being kids, we didn't want to spend our own money on the game because you know it was this PC game, and there's kind of that you know like try to get it free somehow aspect of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did is we ended up borrowing the Minecraft handle, uh, the the like one of our friends on the on the school bus let us uh, borrow his Minecraft account and try the game on it. And so the account name on that was Jaxler. Mm. And I've been using the same handle ever since. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. And uh, my brother actually uh, saw the guy again like later in high school and he told uh, he told he told the guy that I, I took the name. 
And he was like, dude, why did you do that? That's not cool. And I'm like, I know, but I can't think of something better. Um, for uh, I, We asked him where Jaxler actually came from. And according mm. to him, it came from a random generation. Uh, so if you all have ever played World of Warcraft, when you're creating a character and making a name for it, there's a, you can actually roll for a randomly generated name. And Jaxler was a part of a name for one of his characters that he rolled. So that's where it actually comes from. Uh, so yeah, that was way too long of a story, but <laughs> no, that's, that's, I mean, we're on a podcast. That's, that's what this is for. Um, now Albert was asking, you do not have to share, but he was kind of curious about what, what goes into the management using the phone to help yeah, manage. I, uh, I was grabbing my phone mm-hmm. and I, I'd be happy to share it. And, okay. uh, this goes for anyone. If y'all have any questions about being type one or any of the stuff like that, I'm very open with sharing it. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation about sure. the disease. So if you all have any more questions uh, as I'm showing some of this stuff, feel free. Um, so for di- the bi- diabetes stuff uh, has two, for me, and every, uh, everyone's situation is a bit different. Uh, for me, it has two components. I have an insulin pump, which is the thing that gives me the, uh, the, the life juice pretty much mm-hmm. that keeps, helps me to regulate my blood sugar. The other thing I have is a, sex, uh, a sensor called a continuous bl- uh, glucose monitor mm-hmm. or CGM. And so the way that that works is it's a little fiber that goes underneath the sub- subcutaneous flesh. And it basically, um, as the, the bloodstream passes by, it uh, takes a average blood sugar reading every five minutes. And so it works via Bluetooth and actually connects to my phone. And I can actually access it with an app. So um, I don't know how well you can uh, – I don't – oh, yeah. I don't know how well you can see it, but that's mm-hmm. my blood sugar right now. Mm-hmm. Um, as of a couple of minutes ago, and it gives you like a neat little graph, so you can kind of um, track it track, yeah. track it over time, and that can be really helpful with treatment as well. So you can get like a better picture of um, that kind of stuff, and it's nice too because I, I think someone mentioned it. Uh, most a lot of diabetics, uh, the standard way to check your blood sugar is through a uh, a blood sample with a like it's. I, I, it sounds really scary, but it's just you, you prick your finger and get a little bit in a little plastic strip, and then it does the magic for you. Um, but uh, for me, this has been really nice. It's been nice for speed running too, because my fingers don't hurt, hurt as much. Uh, but you know, uh, most people use like the finger stick stuff. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, it's. I can only imagine doing that on a regular basis. I don't know if that's like I. I donate blood on a pretty regular basis, so I have to do the iron test for that. I don't know. Oh yeah, if, if, but like I, I don't know. If, is that still more pricking? Like I have no idea. I would obviously, you know. But I, yeah. I can only, well, the, only imagine what that's like. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the finger pricking you do a couple times a day, but the mm-hmm. sensor lasts for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and honestly, because it's pretty low profile, like you really don't even notice it. It's waterproof, okay. so you good. can keep it on in the shower. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. Here. Okay. So we have a, another question from Core here, which is uh, apparently on behalf of someone else, which is uh-huh. when will you run Super Metroid redesign? <laughs> Sounds like there's a story here. Uh, so uh, Komaru and uh, Chronum Core as well are both friends of mine from Speedruns Rochester. Mm-hmm. Um, Komaru specifically is a Super Metroid runner primarily and runs a, a Metroid ROM, a Super Metroid ROM hack called Redesign. And there's a saying in that community calling, friends don't let friends run Redesign because it's a pretty brutally long run and it's awful apparently um so that's <laughs> i guess where that comes from but no i'm not going to run super metroid i've actually never played super metroid um which Me i probably neither. should <laughs> yeah 
I, right. I have I have the ability to play it. I just I'm lazy. <laughs> All right. So I I didn't even realize it, but I I totally was like doxing myself this whole podcast because I, <laughs> I had the glass right there. Um, uh, the <laughs> for for you and for anyone else who's uh, from Spearman's Rochester in the uh, in in the chat, uh, what is what is your favorite Rochester area eatery? I, I must know. <laughs> um, what is, I can a- tell you. I can tell you what Corundum Cores is. It's, mo- it's well. I can tell you one of Corundum Cores and it's Pie Craft, which is a pizza like a local pizza joint. Okay. Uh, just. Uh, just a little bit east of RIT, which is really okay, I've, I've heard really great things about it. Mm. Um, so Pie Crash is really good. My favorite place to go is a place called Tully's, okay. um, which has, I mean, it, it's literally in their name, the best chicken tenders on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like crack. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Do, uh, do they do they still have Walk With You on, near the, the bookstore? They don't. Near okay. the bookstore? I don't think so, no. no. All right. <laughs> There, there used to be an Asian place called Walk With You, and you'd get the receipt, and it would say, A Walk to Remember, but it was W-O-K. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's what I always amazing. think about. Yeah. Now, again, I, you know, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a, you know, an alumni of, of, uh, you know, of U of R, and so yeah. I just think fondly of you know, McGregor's and Jay's Diner. And, you know, Jay's, like yeah. Jay's, Jay's is yeah. another classic. Yeah. Oh, walk uh, with you closed probably, or <laughs> I would be impressed if they closed all the McGregor's. McGregor's probably had it coming though. Uh, not gonna lie. No, McGregor's, oh, is McGregor's still, still there. open. Okay, it's still open. <laughs> that little pub, yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. there. <laughs> no, no, there was a few places I had mentioned before the podcast. I'd been up that way in late 2019. Yeah, some of those places I didn't go to. Cause it wasn't gonna take my wasn't gonna take my my spouse to those places. <laughs> we we went to nice places like Old Toad, you know, as as you do. Yeah. Um, folks, if you got any more questions, we have a few more minutes. We'll be on the front page of speedrun.com uh, up through uh, you know 1030. What is my favorite plates place? I got to be honest. I, I really only remember getting plates from two places. And one of them was Jay's, which is probably the one that I just went to the most often because it was kind of the most convenient to the river yeah, campus. Yeah, it's right off the road, yeah. And uh, and But I also one time went on a date to Nick Tahoe's, and <laughs> it was truly an authentic experience because I think while we were there, the manager got into a fight with one of the employees. <laughs> so, like, very authentic Nick Tahoe experience. I will never forget it. Um, if you don't know what a garbage plate, if you are listening to the end of this podcast and you do not know what a garbage plate is, the idea is, is it's a, a, basically a sort of picnic meal all thrown together on a plate and served. Typically it is served with the option of one of two meats, you know, either burger or two red hots, uh, over top of, I usually remember it as being a choice of, um, you get, you get three sides and there's like a bunch of sides you can choose from. Or maybe it was like you would choose two of three. I feel like I usually end up with like potato. Like usually I'd get like home fries and baked beans. I think are usually the ones I would get. Yeah, those um, are common. I, I know Max Salad is a really common one. Uh, yeah, Max Salad is another common one. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. So, um, but like I definitely there was definitely like a point in my living in Rochester where I stopped doing that. <laughs> I, I, used, I would eat them in one sitting and then like what, I think like maybe once I finished undergrad, I was like, oh, no, I'm not having this and anymore. Now- <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. It's over. Yeah. I, I haven't even dared attempt because, uh, diabetes and that's sure. a lot of food. No, uh, it's very, very, re- and yeah, yeah. Very reasonable. 
yeah, as I said, we got we got a few more minutes. Actually, so I you know I asked you the question, or I asked you to shout out some people. Um, and you mentioned Demonic, you mentioned Helix. Now Helix has not not been on this podcast. Demonic was. Is there anyone else where you feel like you would you know even if they're not necessarily people that you know you're you're a part of their community or vice versa, where you'd like oh I'd love to see them on Overboost. I'm always kind of curious for word yeah. of mouth recommendations. Definitely, definitely Helix. If you can get Helix on the show, um, Helix is wonderful. Uh, absolute, absolute unit. Uh, <laughs> say that because there's a little short on the short side. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, let me see. So, um, honestly, like it would be cool to see Coronamcore on the show. Uh, she runs like a lot of really interesting games. Um, and then anyone, I, I didn't really get the chance to mention Power Up with Pride. Uh, which is another community I'm pretty involved with. Um, but there's a lot of awesome people from that community as well. Um, I could link you to their Discord at some point if you're interested. Um, but they put on biannual marathons in the summer and in the winter um, and uh, in, in support of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, you know, it's by queer people for queer people. You know, it's, it's really great. Um, and the people who run it are super duper awesome. And I could... Oh yeah, SCBC, SCBC as well. Um, who's another one of my Spearins Rochester friends? Basically, anyone from Spearins Rochester gets a recommendation from me. No, that, that's great. I mean, as you can tell, I, I love reminiscing and talking about Rochester. So yeah, uh, I'm always happy to do that. I'm gonna get sneak one more question. It might have Anubis asked. Uh, do you have a game that you play when you want to unwind? When I want to unwind, um, nowadays it's been Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, Minecraft. Like, what are you doing in Minecraft? Because, like, saying you play Minecraft, and you already yeah. talked about this, right? Like, you can do so much in Minecraft. Like, what is oh, it yeah. that you're doing to unwind then? So, as I as I've gotten older, I know that sounds so pretentious for a 22 year old to say, <laughs> but as, as I've gotten older, um, I've stopped playing Minecraft for my own self interest, and I like playing it as a social game now. Um, mm-hmm. But I still love doing the technical stuff, like the redstone and all that jazz. I just like doing it in service of a multiplayer experience. So I love playing modded Minecraft with people. I love playing vanilla Minecraft with people. Uh, Speedruns Rochester actually has its own Minecraft server. And we've been, we, we just set up an iron farm on that server, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, so Chronum Core is on that. Uh, Cube, who's another one of my friends, uh, they're also a part of that server, and it's it's been really fun, especially during the pandemic. Minecraft's been so yeah. good, keeping us all together. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if I go play this after I hop off the call. <laughs> no, frankly. I mean, it's, absolutely. Uh, it's just the right right time of night and everything. And, and I'm glad, too. You know, um, you know I, I have a, a student group from my U of R days that I'm affiliated yeah. with. Uh, and we have, you know, like a sort of Discord server across generations. And seeing the class of 2021, class of 2020 kids and how they've dealt with this like because I, I, yeah. I didn't deal with this crap when i graduated undergrad you know yeah, i can only it, imagine so you yeah, know i'm glad you guys are doing stuff and finding ways to support each yeah. other and keep in touch yeah that's that's been super great uh, i guess otherwise on that question uh i tried final fantasy 14 recently uh don't tell my friend xcogs that i do because otherwise uh, bad things will happen to me, but my brother has been getting me to try that game so that we can play together at some point. Um, what else? Uh, I've been playing a lot of Pumpkin Jack, even off stream. Mm. It's just that game's movement is so good. Oh, that game you know, has like 
I can send you a GIF uh, mm-hmm. if you're interested. Uh, I think I just sent this in the SROC Discord. Um, but this this game has a technique. To, there's a lot of movement tech to it, but my favorite by far is this thing called lamp boosting, mm-hmm. where you break a lamp, a destructible lamp, while you're standing on it. Um, and it causes this you to gain a ton of speed. Um, I'll post it. I'll post the oh, gift yeah. in the chat. There you go. Um, it is good... so. Uh, it, oh you yeah, go yeah. So... I was. I was. I think I was lurking in your stream last night, and I saw you popping off about this. It, it's really cool looking. It's so. It's so yeah. damn cool. Uh, it's no. a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you have any more questions for me, but I'll just sneak this in right here at go the ahead. end. Uh, if you heard me talk about any of these games and you're interested in trying them yourself, feel free to reach out to me directly. If you want to like get the deets on like the discords for any of these games, pretty much every game ex- I run except for Spidey has its own discord group. Mm-hmm. Um, and discords are a really great way to um, get in contact with a lot of these communities. Cause not everyone's on Twitter, not even everyone's on Twitch, mm-hmm. especially the smaller scale you go. Um, so feel free to, uh, yeah, feel free to just even just DM me on Twitch or on Twitter. Just let me know. I'm very open when it comes to that. So don't feel like, oh, you know, this guy on this podcast, he doesn't seem super personal. No, please come find me. Uh, I think it's always true with, uh, you know, with small games is that you want to you, you feel free to reach out to these people because chances are, chances are they're so excited to talk to someone about it. Like, let me tell you. Yeah, there's oh, no exactly. problem. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what's so fun about these obscure games is it becomes a chain reaction because people who run obscure games it's almost always they run multiple Mm -hmm. um so there's a couple of exceptions like monster only really runs neopets but like for example like i i would like i know i ran into shasta from running some games like we just crossed paths and he was the you know i I bounced off of him into shadow dimensions you know um People who play obscure games know where the I, I apologize for swearing. They know where the good shit is, and uh, that's that's one of the best parts about running weird stuff is you get to learn about all these cool games that you would have never otherwise. Um, all right, Albert. Albert waited until we were off the front page, I guess, to ask. Uh, have you heard of of Rough Trigger? Of Rough Trigger. Yeah. Uh, that sounds no, like I, have, I haven't, but <laughs> okay. by the description of Ratchet and Clank knockoff. Hmm. Um, I'm going to put that on my list of things to Google. There you um, go. Generally, well, generally whenever like a game gets suggested to me or like uh, someone brings up a game, I have like a text document. Um, like I, I was looking at Otogi for a while, which actually got run at AGDQ by a May. Right. Uh, that right, was a yeah, game yeah. I had on my list, but you know, that you, ha- that game is weird. You actually have to have an OG Xbox to play it. It's right, not compatible that's... with. Oh, it, there's no backwards it, compatible. Yeah, either? it's mm. one of the only games that isn't backwards. Uh, so it's I'm like gonna write that down. all the mech games. I'm and mech assault. None of the mech assault games are backwards compatible, or Phantom Crash, or like any of the mech games. It's or literally hard. anything on PS2. Oh yeah, all that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the backwards compatible PS3, but if you manage to find one that hasn't exploded yet, right? Uh, well, you the, might find yourself with a hole in the wall. Yeah, a little bit later. Good luck. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're about wrapped up here. Uh, do you have a raid target? That I could go throw whatever audience I have to. Let me see if I can find someone small uh, that. Let's see here. Um. Oh, I have a SpongeBob runner. I can't. Well, let me sh- see if uh, they're still going to be streaming. Um. Oh, they're probably wrapping up. Okay, let me try again. Uh. I believe. Oh, oh, perfect. Uh, let me type it in your DMs. Okay. 
Frozen. Uh, so Frozen oh. is a really nice gal. She is a primarily a Celeste speedrunner, and she is a great community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I yeah, think I could- uh, Frozen. Yeah, actually, I uh, I think Frozen was a commentator for. I want to say an Emray Pokemon run that I watched two weeks ago. This name, someone said Frozen to me recently. So, so yeah. this, this works out. You should also get her on your podcast, too. Yeah, she's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's really involved with the Celeste scene, and it's just really great TM. Um, and if I can su- suggest a raid message, uh, just E. Just oh, wait, e? no, actually, Frick. Uh, oh, Frick? I'm going to type it in chat. Like All uppercase. Okay. That's an FFC note she has in her chat. That's like a little Bulbasaur. All right. Well, in that case, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you go and the call so I can send the raid over. Right. Thank you again so much, and hopefully I'll of see course. you around in the future. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.